money went from USAID to this, to the work at Wuhan and to their collaborator, Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina uh, to create, to collect and make coronaviruses that are weaponized, that um, are more deadly. So I, first of all, reject the implicit accusation in that question, and I do not have at my finger, I, 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 do, not, I do not have at my fingertips the particular details of USAID are you funding. Saying for certain, are you saying for certain go, that go no USAID go, money go, went to the I, Wuhan I, Institute of Virology? Question. Go ahead. No, please tell me. Do you, no, do you, I, do you, I, are you I, stating I, that no yeah, USAID I money will say, went? I, have, I am happy to take questions from those in this audience. I'm happy to answer them. I appreciate that they treat uh, every person in this room, including myself, respectfully. I call on you. I'm now calling on someone else. Go ahead. Me respectfully. Please tell me. What are you denying? Go ahead, What please. is your denial? Go. It's a non-denial denial. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Wednesday, oops. Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. A really important show, I think, in in a few different directions. I, I want to I make a point right out of the gate in regard to the, the NIMPA or NIMPA virus that we're discussing today about I don't really think if I had to pick that this is going to be like the next thing it certainly could be and that's why we're discussing it today but it's really more so about highlighting what this is how it's being hyped in the media and and showing the lines of where you can tie this I mean right back to the government in a lot of different ways but back to conversations that show that at some level somebody was toying with this gain of function level kind of manipulation and then why that is allowed first of all as we i mean then but especially now because it's still happening but talking about how this how this overlap plays into the larger story of co the covid 19 illusion the origin story the 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 bioweapon research kind of discussion and then just really highlighting why this is such an important discussion in regard to how it's used against us even just the hype just the idea that this could be something and then knowing full well that it really could be something that executed if they so choose for those that, you know, see us as conspiracy theory, that very opening will, you know, fly people to the next video. But ultimately, it's something that we have very much proven they have done. They are doing. And that's in regard to just gain of function research and, and dual use technology, which is what this is and how this ties into the bigger like DNA contamination it really bioweapon conversation about whether or not this was something that was designed for purposes like this. And, and it'll overlap with a few different things. We go through it, but today by and large, that's the focus we're going to be discussing. I'd like to start with a shout out to uh, uh, the Sean Atwood podcast that I was on this morning with uh, a couple of great, uh, great people as well that you guys have know Richard as well. <clears throat> and Richard Willett for those on the podcast, it, it was a really great conversation. It was all focused on the, a Russell Brand topic, which I'm not even really going to get into. I might maybe at some point, and if the show had more kind of peripheral conversation, I would make the point about you know the censorship and why, regardless, it's important and so on. But with all this going on in the world, it's just 
it, but it, it's such an unimportant topic with everything else that's happening and that's why it's being used. But this conversation I thought was really fruitful because that's kind of one, one of many things that we're talking about. A very objective conversation about whether this is important, what's going on within it, how it's being used, and you know, and considering whether it could be true, right? A lot, I, very few groups out there are doing that, largely because they're partisan, and that's typically how that goes. You, your side is chosen, and you're either Russell Bland is a hero and they're trying to attack him, or he's a rapist and doesn't nothing else matters. Usually, somewhere in the middle, right? The, both of those things can be true. Neither of those things can be true. Problem is that that partisanship blinds everybody. Their logic is lost as always. But this conversation, I really recommend. I really thought it was a well balanced. And then Charlie Robinson actually comes in toward the end. It's a really balanced conversation. I was honored to be part of it. And I think that this is where, if you want to understand my opinion about the Russell Brand story, that's there's where you should look. Now, I also want to shout out a podcast that Whitney uh, Whitney Webb released today, or was it today or yesterday? And it's it's a really powerful podcast. I was honored to join her on this. And ultimately, the title is The False Self with Ryan Christian. And she says, I was joined by Ryan, by T-Lab, to discuss how the epidemic of narcissism feeds the ambitions of the powers that be, or the powers that wish they were, and leads many to invest in a false virtual self. Goes right where you think. The, you know, metaverse and the great reset. But there's also a lot of personal stuff in here. So if you want to kind of understand what Whitney's been going through, us more, you know, on top of what's going on with her son, what she's been personally dealing with in her relationships, you know, recently, as well as all the way back to her, her family. And it really, it's, I just, I learned a lot in this conversation going through all of this and trying to discuss how people use this kind of stuff and how people get manipulated by narcissists. It's a fascinating and insightful and very emotional conversation, but I really recommend you check it out because, you know, if you even just want to understand Whitney more on a personal level and myself. This is a great podcast to check out. Right now, I believe it's only on Rockfin, but I think tomorrow it'll be out for everybody on Unlimited Hangout. So check it out. I also want to make sure you guys notice that I recently started a Freedom Cell on, on Derek Bros's Freedom Cell Network. I haven't really had time to do much with it, but I plan on doing it. To, and for those that don't know, it's a local kind of concept. So those that are in Franklin or even just the greater Nashville area, if you'd like to sign up, I will be having local meetups and different things around here and community organized thing, protests, you know, whatever, whatever we decide to use through this. But I just, you know, long said, I should have done this a long time ago. And I think it's important that we start getting more locally invested and so on. So sign up. We already have 10 people that have signed up just to be members and that I've, you know, we can, you can be part of this group chat and conversation and we will be having more meetings there. And if you want to start your own, by the way, that's also something you should do. If you're somewhere else in the country, you don't need to look for one that's already on there. I mean, you should, but if you, if you don't see one, start one. Don't be afraid to do that. Now I'd like to start with a couple of opening points that have to do with some of the things I'm not really going to focus on today, but, but kind of do overlap as always with some of the important conversations that pertain to the great reset, the, the, you know, kind of the budding, or rather the, the, how we're becoming aware of the global government and the budding growing example of how it's overtaking sovereignty and so on. I thought this was a really interesting point to make. So actually a point that kind of was that I fell between the cracks for me. This isn't a new video. This is August 11th. Other people have shared this many places. Somebody sent me the video and I just was kind of floored by it because I've been talking a lot. I even just recently did a video about the reality of the, the smart city overlap. Now we should, I, I would argue that we can't prove that what happened in Lahaina was because they wanted to roll this in, but 
that, that's just at the level of like proof versus evidence. There is a mountain of evidence that suggests that that's something that could have happened. They're capable of. And then all of the I, I, flat out illegal actions, in my opinion, or just malfeasant actions that allowed people to die. No water, no sirens blocking them in areas. And then you find out all the, you know, the, the land grab conversations, the smart city, you know, uh, uh, what was it? The, the summit and openly discussing these things as what they're going to be doing in these areas. It's very interesting. But still, I would argue that we should be careful and objective because we have to be. We need to be better than them. Watching what the corporate media is doing right now in the court of public opinion with Russell Brand, since how we mentioned at the beginning, is what they do. That's what they want you to do in reverse so so they can just make it a division. Be better than them, even if you're partisan. Don't fall into the trap of going, we know this or we know that when we don't. Right now, I like there's a good clip on on uh, GB News where they come out. I forget her name off top. Beverly, I think they come out in this clip, and she wasn't even aware they were going to do it. And he brings up this list and starts reading her tweets about how she said Bran was a hero. And he lays out the allegations, and she he goes, "Don't you think that we should prove that he that you know what find out whether these accusations are true before we call him a hero?" Without even realizing how ridiculous what he is, what he just said was saying. It's okay for us to attack him based on unvetted allegations that we can't prove, but you can't say he's okay or a hero. But it's just there. I don't even think he realized what he said. They're that stupid, that childish, that petty. So don't be that. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. In this case, Josh, Governor Josh Green, in an interview with local media, or uh, yeah, I believe it was local ABC said build back better in regard to the island. And I just thought that was ridiculous. For some people, that may mean nothing. But if you understand what that is and how clearly that was a seated talking point around the world, mid-COVID and beginning of Great Reset propaganda, I, I mean, Biden used it as his running campaign and then pretended like he didn't know. I mean, that is the tagline of the Great Reset. That's what, and, and overlapping with COVID-19 in that context. He, and he acts like he didn't even know that. I mean, it's very, very stupid. So very, uh, actually, I'm not going to, this is the full video where you can see it right there. I'm not going to play the full clip, but I will play a clip where they include that. So I'm going to play that for you in a second. But here it is right on the White House press release, August 31st. So it followed up after that interview. So half, two weeks later, and it says, I've charged him with making sure the community has everything. Biden saying this in regard to uh, Governor Green saying everything the federal government can offer to heal and literally build back better. As fast as possible. So what if people don't want to build back better? What if they just want their homes and the right to build where they want and how they want? Oh, I guess that's not allowed. But we're conspiracy theorists for acting like that's a problem. I mean, it's just everything about this is wrong. And we, I'm not going to get into that topic today, but it's just everything about the, what's going on behind us is, is screams corruption. But I'm going to play just the opening of this clip because I found it very interesting. And you'll hear him say this going to be a multi-year recovery. It's going to take essentially years to rebuild Lahaina, which was destroyed. But we will build it back better, and we'll build it back proudly. Build back better. Building back better. To build back better. We're going to build it back better. And build it back better. My plan to build back Some of those, by the way, go back a while. Like the Clinton one, that's not that's not even COVID-19, I don't think. One, some of them he said were. But there's ones where you can see Clinton and Obama and Plan others. Oh, wait, was it Obama? I forget. But definitely Clinton and others saying that beforehand, by the way. But just imagine a governor going on television after a massive tragedy where you have, we don't even know the number of people dead yet. 
you have this massive area that's been burnt to the ground. Yeah. And then he starts talking about taking it over from, for the state. That's an insane position to take. It is. Post-tragedy. Uh, and let's not forget, by the way, on it was on a boat, I think, or at least by water. Remember, really early in this, he made the statement off the cuff that that's what they were going to turn into a national park. Or Remember that? Now that just gets dismissed and I th- I think because that was a little too hot out of the gate. Obviously, that's not what the people of Lahaina want. But that's what he's talking about. But see, now because Rogan says it, and I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, he's right. But that's how the paradigm looks at it. Well, he says it, therefore fake. It's like Alex Jones. He says it, it's fake. Or same thing on the right, right? The, if the high, if somebody on the left says this or X, Y, and Z, I'm trying to think of somebody who would be the equivalent. I mean, any number of anybody on the corporate media on either side, for that matter. But there's plenty of people on either side that they would just say, well, they say it, therefore it's fake news. That's how it works. When and people I, I, are suffering at their most, they can't yeah. even believe it happened. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's saying... We're going to take it for the state and make a memorial. How about give the fucking people their homes back? It's crazy. And then says he he, he wants to take the land for the state. That's his first. Now, this is one of the reasons reasons why I wanted to talk about this. Like, how is that possible that these people could lose their home and then lose their land? Right. Like, How is that possible? It it is. It is the number one concern of people there uh, in Lahaina is that a few days after this happened, I haven't spoken to the governor, but he said in a press conference, he said, we're talking to the attorney general. He said, I'm talking to my attorney general to explore options for the state to take over that land and use it to build workforce housing or build a memorial to the li- for, for the people so who insane. lost their lives. Yeah. But the fears that the people in Lahaina have, some of whom like Archie Kalepa, famous surfer, community leader, Native Hawaiian leaders, family has lived in Lahaina for nine generations, now being told, well, the state, the governor is looking at taking that land, taking ownership of that land, that it, it is unconscionable. And there's, oh, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, for those who've been displaced, we'll see about doing a land swap and we'll send you to the big island to live in Puna. Jesus. It's taking away the sovereignty of people's rights to have a say over their home, in many cases, their generational lands is is uh it it is such an abuse of power and so this is and i'm 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 glad that there are leaders in the community who are leaning into this fight to make sure that they are fighting this fight before anybody tries to do that rather than looking in the rearview mirror and saying gosh i wish we had done something they were i don't mean too late in the sense where they shouldn't keep fighting or that they already took it but they people that might try to stand between them and the the wheels are in motion like they're already doing this right so what what's really it's it's really alarming right that we can be in this position but it's not that unique i mean that's the reason i open with this is because i'm going to show you the same damn thing just a f- little bit further along happening in east palestine now not the same a level or rather I guess, different kinds of destruction, right? They're living in a toxic wasteland where they're, ba- you know, and that's kind of hyperbole, but they're, people are throwing up still, bleeding from places they shouldn't be, people vomiting, headaches. I mean, that's real stuff. That's still happening in East Palestine. Well, I'm not even going to get into Flint, Michigan or anybody else. Who cares about those old stories, right? Like, that's how stupid this all is. But th- this is where we actually are. This is happening. Now, what I think is crazy to me, and this is the point that I keep trying to make before I get in, just move past this East Palestine, is that, There are people that are, one, with good intentions, looking above and beyond that and looking for the bigger conspiracy story, which we should be asking, but missing that right there. The fact that that's even happening is wild. 
But I also point out that there are people out there that I think do this by design, whether it's because they want a lot of contention or because they're being paid or driven to do it. Like seeding these conversations that are fake or changing the color of Oprah's house to make it look like she has a different color roof. So people freak out about blue roofs and we haven't even proven that if directed or weapons are even used. But we're four stories down the line because it's all about or whatever happened to, you know, Ebola breakout at the dead at the Burning Man concert. Oh, that story turned out to be fake. I guess they didn't circle back and go. We made a mistake. That's the kind of people we don't. You guys need. Everybody should start paying attention and be on guard against because what happens is they get people looking around the real story. And I don't even mean in the sense where what they might be like. The point is, we should be open to all possibilities. But there are people that do this in a way that make you miss the real crime that's happening right in front of you, missing the forest for the trees. I think that's really important today. And I've never made that more clear than in this story, because these people are already losing things. They're already being kicked out. Their their lives are already changed forever. And most people don't seem to really want to get into the immediate crimes. That's got to be pretty frustrating for them. This is really frustrating. I forgot I included this advanced DNA testing. This is from the 16th of this month prompts officials to revise the death total to 97 down from 115 like i don't even know how that's possible when you've got nine refrigerated trucks or rather down to six even then and the idea being that this is something that was the number they were estimating while they knew they were still searching for missing people and somehow that goes down i mean again who knows maybe there's part of the story i don't know but that screams some kind of cover-up to me same with the soil tax thing that they're going to be going over the top of all this. I mean, how are you even going to talk about doing that soil tax spraying over the top of all this when then you're going to argue you're going to turn it into some kind of a memorial? That's going to change the land. It's going to change the environmentals. Eh, anyway, that's not for today. But I'll, the, the whole point was getting into this. So they're, here, they're over here in the beginnings of dealing with the land grab part of this. I can't believe this is actually coming around to this part of the story. Well, technically, this is the part about the houses. But before we even get into that, just don't don't miss this. This is from September 15th. This is what we were just talking about. Technically, this is what we were trying to scream about from day one when we were covering it, day one. And up until last week, I covered this and we're going, they're still sick and nobody cares. And the Norfolk Southern lied about what happened. They didn't need to burn. The court found they didn't even need to do the burn. And they lied about whether it was, they, nobody was told it was treated vinyl chloride. And you know all of this stuff. They told the volunteer fire chief that well, they left out the fact that the, the experts said it wasn't going to explode most likely. And then he was told he had to make a decision. So he chose to burn it. They played that guy. They were the court ruled They didn't need to do it. It was unnecessary was the word. We found that all of this stuff, we know there's dioxin problems. Every independent testing has been finding it. Their own people keep getting sick. And now, September 15th is the first corporate article like this that I've seen. Here's the point about why just because they say the truth doesn't always mean that it's enough when it's too late. When we're talking about, when, oh, doesn't it good to just point out? It's like that kind of credit conversation. Well, maybe, sure. I'm, people will now know. But had we been able to get this kind of attention five days later, Maybe they wouldn't, excuse me, maybe they wouldn't be getting sick still. Maybe they wouldn't be getting a fraction of the house's worth because it took five months for them to figure this out. Internal agency communications confirm certain EPA experts, including a key dioxin scientist. Oh, so EPA does have dioxin scientists. Well, isn't that interesting? So why were they so confused in the beginning? You know why, because you're watching this show. He says, we're not consulted until a month after the derailment. A month after the derailment. So they drag, that's the title. EPA dragged its feet on investigating chemical risk. Emails show. 
Guess what will happen? Nothing. The EPA is not going to get in trouble. They're not, they'll, they'll ask for more funding and probably get it. The delay left at least two EPA scientists surprised and concerned. So even just like the FDA, there's people in there that probably don't know how corrupt this is. And they're going, what's going on? Why haven't we done this yet? And it occurred, it says, while the agency was deferring to the railroad giant, because that's what you do, right? The person that committed the act, you go, you can take care of it. This is what they did, remember? And we were going, why are they allowing them? And they said, well, if they don't take care of it properly, we'll step in. That was, why wasn't that a huge red flag to all the corporate journalists? Because they're not honest people. And it says, deferring to the railroad giant and its web of contractors, you know, the people that they classically hire to cover it up, like they've done many times before. Chief Nerd pointed out early, pointed that out early in the conversation that it was the, uh, I forget the name of the company, but the company that's been classically used to cover up large spills in the past. And they've been called out for it. And that's who they hired. The EPA didn't say a word. And they hired them to spearhead environmental testing, including crafting protocols. Protocols for sampling the water that then the EPA later uses. A move many saw as a glaring conflict of interest. So my point, guys, is just because this is getting written today, my guess is because now it's being allowed to be stated. We're at a point now where they've done the damage, they've spread it out enough, no matter what is said, they're never going to be accountable for it. That's why it's being stated. Had we gotten this information out like we were, proving it with documents, proving it with testing, proving it with everything you need, maybe we could have done something about it. You guys did what you guys did everything you could. The point is that there's something out there that's partisanship, largely, but controlled flow of information that's stopping this work, whether it's me or anybody for that matter, unless you've got, which is what we want to try to grow to in this, this T-Lab community, a platform that is so large that it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it, unless you have that, it just doesn't change. So here's what they're doing with the houses. Good to read this whole article. Doom sent me this. News Nation. New, the new program will pay homeowners in East Palestine and the surrounding area about five miles. Oh, I got... Uh, so now it's, it went from a mile to five miles? I'm glad you only changed that like a week and a half ago. So this whole time, oh, it's only a mile. Come on back after 30 seconds and everyone's fine. You're lying. You're not sick. It's anxiety. And now you put it to five miles and now you're going to pay people the difference in a five-mile radius. So explain for me, oh, let me read it first so you guys know what I'm saying. I'm getting ahead of myself. The new program will pay homeowners in East Palestine and the surrounding area about five miles around the derailment the difference between the appraised market value of their homes and the sale price. So they're going to take the current value, which is probably nothing, and give them somewhere in the middle of what then the sale price is, which they'll probably dip, dive down. I mean, no one's going to hold them accountable. They're going to give them pennies in the dollar. And they're probably going to take it because they don't have any options. No one's going to care. No one in the government anyway. But accepting compensation through the program will require homeowners to, guess what, forego property damage claims they might eventually collect as part of one of the lawsuits against the railroad. So now they're offering them something now going, hey, take this now. You might get nothing later. This is the way our court system works today. Please system, as I think High Impact Flicks recently posted. Right. The, the crimes are so high. The penalties are so ridiculously high that the average person is terrified to even go through the process because they don't want to risk going to jail for life. So they take a plea deal. Justice is not served. And in this case, they're doing this right now. They're going, look, we're going to give you a fraction of what you deserve, but we're going to do everything we can to make sure you get nothing on the other side of this. So you might as well take the pennies and people will do it. Makes me sick. Five miles is the point. So explain for me how they're going to give somebody four miles away 
the price for their home if they're claiming this wasn't about spreading chemicals, but about the destruction that was done to that local area. If they're doing five miles, they know, they know that that risk is long, well past five miles. Recognize that. Your government doesn't care. The EPA doesn't care. We care. That's it. And if we speak loud enough, we can do something about it. Now, just because we're talking about things like this, let's talk about Flint, Michigan. Did you even know that was still happening? Most people don't even care. Michigan's top court, this is today, Michigan's top court won't revive the Flint water charges against seven key figures, none of which have ever been held accountable for knowingly switching the water source to something that they knew would get people sick and didn't care. The Michigan Supreme Court has rejected the last effort. They've rejected a last chance effort to revive criminal charges against seven people in the Flint water scandal, waving away an appeal by prosecutors who have desperately tried to get around a 2022 decision that gutted the cases. That's how this system works, ladies and gentlemen. That's why the system is broken. You're not going to vote your way out of something like this. Now, I want to just throw this in here. I've, I've watched most of this first one. I found it really interesting. There's other three other two other parts to it. It's called Stolen Water Part One, Waging War on Water Rights and BC Food Security. Uh, this is from the name was in, right up in here in the front. Uh, let's see. Shoot. Oh, here, I'll just do this. It is by uh, Simon Hergott. It's it's a really well done. It's so basically we're talking about them shutting down. Ag- they're not allowing them to use the water they need. So then they're not able to create the crops. It's a small. It's a. It's another part of what's happening in this whole war on on agriculture, stolen water. And I mean it's it's everywhere, guys, everywhere. And then just lastly on this point, this just happened today. Biden Harris administration launches American Climate Corps. You heard that right, the American Climate Corps to train. Young people in clean energy, conservation, and climate resilience skills. Create good-paying jobs and tackle the climate crisis. Climate climate crisis. You're creating automatons is what you're doing. You're creating mindless followers who are going to be militant climate change activists. That's what you're doing, in my opinion. So all that said, guys, just, 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 that's just the opening. Like, just, I can't believe that's happening to Maui. I can't believe it's happening to East Palestine. I can't believe it's still happening to Flint. I can't believe it's happening to you right now. With all of the glyphosate in your clothes and your air and your food you're eating, the water you're drinking, all the dioxins and PFAS and benzene and atrazine, everything that's right now probably in your body because they don't care. We, let's do something about it. What do you say? So before we get into the main topic of today on the overlap of these two things, don't worry, though, because you may be in East Palestine, you may be in Lahaina, but Clinton's to the rescue, right? Because they're going to swing in and take care of you guys, right? Just like they did everybody in Haiti. Isn't that how that worked out? (laughs) Fox News, Clinton Global Initiative, which is the Clinton Foundation. I mean, it's just they just that's all they really did. That's the story. So those guys in in uh, from Boston break down pay for play expose a thousand different crimes it was scathing they nailed it to the wall nothing happened they changed their name and they're still doing their same old thing welcome to america the clinton global initiative announces new proposal to help rebuild ukraine yeah while they're still at war they're going to spend your money to rebuild ukraine isn't that great so after all that was publicly exposed in congress about the clinton foundation pay to play and much worse and the egregiously egregiously criminal conduct by the clinton foundation in haiti which is undeniable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Here, they're right back at it. 
in Ukraine. Of course it's Ukraine. The most corrupt place on the planet, according to all the corporate media, just before Russia invaded. Now it's the best place on the planet. Now it's Disneyland, you know, just on a dime, just like that. And I said, maybe we should ask why they are rebuilding Ukraine while the war is still raging and why they have made sure Syria, you know, would not get a cent for rebuilding, despite many others trying to help and the U.S. stopping that from happening, because none of it's actually about rebuilding. That's the point, guys. And then, of course, I included this. I wrote, I wrote and I tagged right here, written in December 2017, doctor who exposed Clinton Foundation corruption in Haiti found dead. Now, I, I wanted to make sure, I thought, you know, I'm going to share that because this is a story going around. So I shared it out. And of course, I forgot to add the 2017 part there, which I typically do when it's an old article. You know why, because as I say right here, make sure you don't miss that I wrote this 2017. The Twitter files have ruined people. <laughs> That's exactly what's happening. Even people that I think are, they look at, oh my God, they got another one. It's like, guys, just it, look at the date. It's right. It's, I shouldn't have to type that. It's like, then I feel like I'm somehow tricking people. And it's like, I, it's, it's, the, it's right there in the front of the article. Anyway, it's an important article. You should read this. And this is just one of many, many stories that just connect to Haiti, by the way. Or I could have gone a different direction and talked about the Clinton body count and that whole conversation. But the idea is just Haiti. So you understand this story in a quick nutshell. This guy was found with a butcher knife in his chest. He's a doctor. He's not stupid enough, one, to think that that would likely even be be able to have the leverage to stab himself enough to kill himself through the chest plate, as well as the fact that he knows that would be very painful. But let's, but they also called it a suicide regardless, like, you know, Gary Webb shooting himself twice in the head, because that's how this goes. That's how our government operates. But realize how obvious this was. On top of the fact that here's just a couple of things he said publicly about the Clintons happening in Haiti before he took his own life is what the government tells us. Disaster management on the ground was non-existent. Cheerios on the tarmac are not getting it done. And these patients were clearly, which clearly would be salvable uh, uh, if good care would, be ur would urgently be provided. Once we arrived, we saw a severely damaged hospital with no running water and only limited electrical power supplied by a generator. This is supposedly after millions of dollars of donations they claim they sent. Surgeries were being performed in the equivalent of a large closet, storage closet, where amputations were performed with hacksaws. This facility could not nearly accommodate our equipment nor our expertise to treat the volume of injuries we saw. He says, we found scores of patients with pus dripping out in open extremities, fractures, and crushed injuries. Some wounds were already ridden with maggots. This is at a location that was supposed to be getting funding from the Clinton Foundation. After a third of these victims were children, about a third were children, the entire hospital smelled of infected, rotting limbs and death. Later on, we would judge our surgical progress by the diminishment of the stench. Our naivety, in our naivety, we didn't expect that the two uh, anesthesia machines would not work that there would be only one uh, cautery available in the entire hospital to stop bleeding, that an operating room sterilizer fit only instruments the size of a cigar box, that there would be no sterile saline, no functioning uh, fluoroscopy machine, no blood for transfusions, no ability to do lab work, and the only staff was a ragtag group of voluntary health pro pro uh, providers like who, like us, had made their own way there. Upon our departure, we witnessed pallets of Cheerios and dry goods sitting on the tarmac helping nobody. Yet our flight of critical medical equipment and personnel had been canceled. And the equipment that did get through was hijacked. And guys, this is not like, I already saw somebody comment when I posted this. Oh, fake news. Oh, I already, I forgot I opened it. No, I mean, it's not, it's not provably real because on the New York Post, but it is a real story. And this is the NYPD talking about how a noted, a noted notable surgeon was found dead at his home with a knife in his chest. 
All I did was just highlight that. I gave you what he said on the record, which there's links to. You can read it for yourself. It's right there. This one is, uh, you know, Clinton Foundation corruption. Haiti found it. You know, it's all, there's all sorts of documents that show you his statements on the record. Now, you wonder why he showed up dead? I think that's kind of an obvious, you know, not that I can prove. We know that. But my point is that's an obvious. If you were an investigator, this would be the pretty much only place you would look. But nobody cares. So make sure Clinton helped Ukraine and help East Palestine and everything else. But moving forward, let's start with on the overall rest of the conversation for the Nepal virus conversation. Let's start with what the the uh, WHO just said. And I find this to be very important because as we're trying to inform people about these larger conversations, they're desperate, it would seem. Let's start with what I said, first of all. Well, actually, let's play the clip first. Here's what he just said. Platforms are being misused to subvert science and spread disinformation and hate to billions of people. This clear and present global threat demands clear and coordinated global action. Our policy brief on information integrity on digital, pl digital platforms puts forward a framework for a concerned international response. Well, we've talked about this before. Clear and present danger, that's a, that's, a, there's, that's, you, that's a legal term for the most part. That's used in a court of law. There's, that's, a, that's a barrier that needs to be met kind of a thing. So when he says a clear and present global, or what do you say, a clear present, or what do you say? Hold on, let me make sure I didn't get it wrong. It's present global threat. Demand yeah, clear and present global threat. So in my opinion, there's a very clear reason that that's the way that's being framed. So as I've said many times, this is what many of us have been warning about. Your words are now a global threat if you happen to disagree with the global narrative. Like, you have to understand, they're not, they're not necessarily saying, I mean, how could they possibly know that you are willingly misinforming people? Isn't it possible that you just have a wrong opinion? But see, they don't care. They obviously should because that's your right. And, and you know, well, first of all, in my opinion, just because we point to the Constitution in the United States, I, I look at things like the free speech as a human right or, you know, freedom of movement, things like this. So the idea is that people have a right to say what they want to say. All he's saying is that if we disagree with what you're putting forward, then you're a threat to us. Why is that not alarming to anybody, even if you think they're wrong? That's so far over the top. But this is for, and this is from the global stance. Oh, I'm sorry. I said WHO, the United Nations. I, I you know, <laughs> Global government, let's put it that way. In any case, for the podcast, it's United Nations saying this on the record. But my same point, though, that we're talking about a global entity that is now standing up. Now, they're not supposed, neither the WHO or the United Nations are supposed to be like action uh, entities where they step up and go like, this needs to happen or you need to do this. Like, it's ultimately about, uh, what's the right word for it? Like, obviously, they, they have, like, let's put it this way. You have a resolution that comes out. How often does Israel and the United States just ignore them? And what happens? Because ultimately, there is no immediate legal repercussions, or at all, unless these bigger powers step in and take action themselves, right? I forget the word for that. You guys, in the chat, I'm just blanking on it. There's, there's, you know, they're, they're really only about administrative levels and stuff like that. But here he is literally saying that you, we need a global action to stop what they're doing. These people, as I said, are power mad and realize that without force, they won't succeed. I really think that's what this is because we're not sitting down. So they need to do something to stop the people like us that are gaining traction by showing people the objective reality and showing people that you don't need to know toe to these kind of people. 
You don't need to fall down and, and allow them to change everything about your life because they tell you there's a threat that they can't prove. That is not what we should be doing. Find the courage to stand up. And I never mean violence. Oh, yeah. And then I wanted to read what Dr. Tess Lowry pointed out as well. She says the World Council for Health is a grassroots organization partnering with 110 plus organizations in 52 countries. You see the point? There's a lot more people on the side of the truth than you realize. They just don't show you that. And the, when, the, the corporate, any of these large entities, they act like it's a fringe group that's just a conspiracy theorist, anti-science. The point is, there are, I believe there are more people that see the truth right now that are standing up than we know. More than them, in my opinion. And so she says it has a new policy brief that, unlike the UN, the UN one in this circulating video, is free from conflicts of interest. It highlights the dangers of unregulated digitalization, including the silencing of dissent and calls for the use of technology with discernment. You can download the policy here. And the links to everything is right there. I, she's the one that had that great video, by the way. I forget the, the context, of, you know, laying out what they did wrong and so on. You should follow her work. She does good work. But on top of that, the restriction aspect of, aspect of this, they know that we see through this, guys. They know that people are pushing back in ways that aren't violent, ways that are the ways that in ways that they tell you you should be. And then this is what happens. I find this to be hilarious. Associated Press writes, opponents of COVID-19 restrictions have taken over a local government in Michigan. Sir, sounds like some insurrection, doesn't it? And are proposing deep cuts to the country's health department. A move, the move has sparked a backlash in the community as essential services are threatened. Well, had you read the article for the skimmers out there, they got elected, guys. <laughs> These people got elected. They did not take over the government. They got elected. The community that they're saying are sparking a backlash are the community that elected these people. So what they're doing is pointing, they're highlighting the minority that didn't win the election and saying that's more important because we agree with them. Because you can't just remove COVID restrictions. Well, yeah, you really can, especially if the people there don't agree with them, which is how this is supposed to work. Isn't that interesting? As I wrote here, it's always hilariously obvious and hypocritical how the authority takes at, talks at you about the importance of democracy, in quotes, except when that, quote, democracy doesn't work out the way they wanted it to. And I only argue that's even possible in local elections like that. School boards and local, you know, this is that's this is about a local county kind of thing. It says community backlash, they say. Isn't that the same community that just voted them in? Like, how dumb is that? That's they're desperate, guys, because people are finding ways to stop this stuff. I know I know not everybody agrees with that, but that's genuinely what I think. Either way, I do think we're making a lot of momentum. We're, we're gaining a lot of momentum with all this. Now, on the note of the lockdowns and inactions there, I thought this was very interesting. These are two data points from different tweets that I thought, and all these links are down here for you to check out if you want to look at the data yourself. So Jessica says on September 17th, I can't stress this enough. There was no rise in daily hospital inpatient deaths in New York City hospitals until after the Fed pulled the 15 days to slow the spread trigger. So first of all, think of that, right? So you could argue that they just knew it and they saw it coming and then it started. Maybe, I don't think that, but you could argue that. So right here, you can see that, the, you know, nothing was happening really, even though there was reports and so on. And then they said, oh no, 15 days to slow the spread of the thing that hasn't happened yet. And then all oh, boom and everything explodes. Okay, it's interesting. Well, we know that during that time period when they initiated the CARES Act and, and the ways they were reimbursing doctors and hospitals for certain specific choices and not others, you know, totally not corrupt at all, they want you to believe. Even though that does happen to some degree, it's very easy to use that system to drive action, even from honest people who might be on the fence that will happily lean into the more 
profitable side, especially if they don't really see a difference if they're lied to about both options. It's very easy to manipulate things like this. Then we can go to the other end of that peak. Justin Hart points something very interesting out. Justin Inquiry says COVID-19 deaths with a record of hospitalization just fell off a cliff randomly in March 2022 and never came back. Now, if you're only looking at this point, you go, hey, vaccines worked or the variants aren't that dangerous or whatever. Certainly, you could argue those things. But guess what? The timing, the end of reimbursement submission. What do you know? I mean, like literally on a dime. The moment that they were like, ah, no more recent, no more reimbursement. Oh, then we'll stop telling you. We'll stop submitting. <laughs> really? I just think that is the dumbest thing in the world. And he says, March 2022, on March 22nd, 2022 was the final submission period for hospitals to get reimbursement for uninsured and underinsured individuals from HHS patients who tested positive for COVID-19. The government shut down the most profitable parts of their businesses. Many hospitals didn't survive. Those that did probably had administrators who tried to get every dollar of reimbursement they could. Very interesting. Now, I by no means think that's the whole story, but I just found that a really compelling both sides of the data point, right? So it exploded the moment that they start the whole thing, and then it collapsed the moment that they pulled the reimbursement. That's pretty damn interesting to me. Now, of course, we know the COVID stuff is being pushed back on us. Now, the real question is whether or not this is going to be just another COVID hype and vaccine push, which I kind kind of find hard to believe, but these people are pretty dumb sometimes. Or if it's going to be kind of a, you know, just another go through the motions and waiting for the next kind of thing. And maybe that's the NIMPA thing we're going to talk about next. Maybe not. But here's Eric Fangelding telling you the U.S. government will relaunch a program to provide free COVID-19 home tests starting on the 25th. Well, what do you think will happen? Remember, remember the last two times they did that? It was almost like magic. The moment those things hit their houses, boom, just like that, we saw an explosion in cases. And they'd love for you to believe that that means that they finally they tested and they found out they had it just in time. Okay, but here's the alternative. You're telling me that people that don't know they're sick right now suddenly explode with cases right after you give these tests out? That either means that that's not real or it was never going to be that dangerous. That's the point. And that's happened both times. And I quite frankly think it's because of false positives and that it's not even doing what we tell, that, that, that it's false positives. Either way, once they put these tests out, mark my words, I've said it twice and I've been right both times. And a lot of people have. Once they put these tests in people's homes, you're going to see a spike in cases and they're going to use that to hype the narrative. If they want to, they'll push that further. He says, officials say the tests are able to detect the latest variants. In other words, the U.S. government admits that COVID is not over. They also admit, or they don't admit, they also are caught in a lie because it's really, really, really stupid to keep pretending they can just test for the newest variants, even though in the very earliest days they said they had to change a certain, a certain um, what was it, the dropout they were looking for to, to go for Delta. But then when they had to, basically what became a negative was used as a positive because Delta changed it. Okay, so what happened the, the last 14 times then? Are we pretending they've changed? They haven't. It's the same patent, the same test. And right now I can prove to you that they're only using samples from certain locations that even have the further ability past the original thing to test for what they estimate is happening. But we're going to pretend they can test for XBB right now or Eris or all the rest of them. We're being lied to. Either this guy doesn't know what he's talking about or he's just towing lines because that's what his job is. The return of the free testing program comes after Americans navigated the latest uptick in cases. Yeah, remember that? Let me see if I can grab it real quick. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> this is so stupid. Perfect to put it next to this complete liar. This is the uptick. This really drink that in. I showed it the last few times. 
This is lower right now. Like right now, like you can look right here. I don't know if you can see my mouse or not, but right where it kind of starts, like to the left part of the circle, like, you know, right. It looks like right around early September or end of August. That is about the, the lowest peak at the beginning of this whole thing. We're lower than that right now. We went lower than that and then had a little spike. So we're, lo we're lower now than almost at any other point in the entire illusion of all this. And here he is just going, a spike, an uptick in cases without any context. So all the house moms, are like, oh my God, COVID's rising again. And they go run and get a test and put a mask on. It's staggering. Anyway, the point is, they're going to put them back out in the world. They're going to send these to your homes. They're going to put them out in Walgreens. They're going to sell them out right away. And people are going to get more cases and they're going to use that for the narrative. Now, do you know what else uses a PCR test? Bring this into the main conversation. I didn't mean to go for 45 minutes to open, but I found that stuff to be important. I, I think I lingered a little bit on the Clinton thing. I think that's important for us to understand. But yes, yes, the, the obvious point is that the NIMPA virus uses the PCR test. Did you know that? So how much you want to bet if, if, and I mean if, so I'm, I'm, this is all, you know, other than the data points about what this is and what it ties back to, Clad X, or excuse me, Cladex exercise <laughs> to Wuhan Institute of Virology, to the origins of COVID-19. All of those things tie back to the NIMPA in discussion. But I don't, it, the, the point is for me, if this is something they want to use, right now they're already telling you and they've already been laying the groundwork for this being a possible issue and they've already used the PCR test to test for this thing. So I'm willing to bet you that something happens if they wanted to use this to where this is out circulating and they suddenly go, don't worry, we can pick it up using the PCR test or we already have it set to do that or we already, you know, whatever the narrative becomes. And you know why I think that's important? Well, first of all, just as you can see here, the NIMPA virus diagnosis, and this is from the India Today from, this is a recent article, semi, yeah, September, this two days ago. And it says the NIMPA virus, the primary diagnostic method include the RT-PCR test or the PCR test essays. <clears throat> so the same damn thing, guys. So now it's just becoming a commonplace thing to use a tool that is not designed to find out whether or not you're sick and can be manipulated with higher cycle thresholds to make you sick if you're not. As many honest people have pointed out, Dr. Scoglio, PhD, and millions of people, excuse me, many people testing Kiwis and getting positives, testing animal testing, you know, all sorts of things. And he said 95% false positives when it's at above 35 cycle threshold. Understand that. Okay. So PCR test is what will be used should they decide to test. It's the same scam, guys. We're set for this. Should they want to execute it? And if you want just more evidence of that, specific detection of NIMPA virus using real-time RT-PCR. Okay. So bringing this to the discussion of this and how it's rising. I don't want to, I thought I had it closer, but I don't want to forget the point about this is exactly I mean, if you couldn't have picked a better overlap, I mean, identical, which it seems everything they choose these, these today is. You know why? Because you could name anything you want. You got a stuff, you got a, a headache and a stuffed nose. You probably have NIMPA today. Two months ago, it would have been COVID, right? That's just how that were. Well, just in case. I mean, it's just so blatantly dishonest under a guise of just in case for your safety, except they then use those things to beat you down and arrest you. It's just so stupid. But here it is from Gavi, the, the vaccine alliance, you know, the one that, that, the shell game of Trump and, 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 and Gates, where they removed it from WHO, but went to Gavi, went to Gavi, and then that went to WHO anyway. And it was just this basically shell game. And all the Trump supporters didn't realize that. They didn't want to see it. He was definitely funding the program. 
India is racing to contain an outbreak of the deadly Nympa virus, they say. But what is it? And how great a threat does it pose? So this is on September 19th. Going back a few days, this is from CBC. Nepal has sparked a health crisis. A health crisis, they say, in southern India. Here's what we know. Now, by no means is this a health crisis. I mean, even understanding that this has never before been something that's even remotely on the map. I'll show you Michael Yeadon's point in a second. Even though they've been pointing at this and hyping this and saying it might be, it might be for the longest time, which is very, very suspicious. As always, right? Updated the same day. What they change? Who knows? They change. Corporate media doesn't need to add those anymore. The Indian state of Kerala is battling its fourth outbreak of the Nipah virus since 2018. Now, here's what's interesting. The way they make this paragraph sound, if you read through it without really being objective, you would make it sound like there's a big problem, right? Four, four different outbreaks in the last so many years. Two people have died and nearly 800 people have been tested over the last 48 hours in the state's district of Kozhikode. Uh, okay, so two people have died. That's the point. When you say nearly 800 people have been tested, that's a meaningless number. So what? Two people died? How many got sick? Right? Or, and then even then, are you using PCR? Yes. So we don't, this, this is very compromised. But my point is, why would they say 800 people have been tested? So the more you test, the more we should be afraid? I mean, that's kind of where that's going. Isn't that interesting? I think it's because the 800 number makes everything seem like more is happening, as opposed to saying, there's five cases and two dead, and that's all we got. Two adults and a child are in a hospital for observation after testing positive. Okay, so they're just there because they tested positive, not because they're actually sick and they need to go to the hospital. But we're already racking up NEPA hospitalizations because just in case. Now, here's what's interesting. It says NEPA was first identified in 1999 in pig farmers in Malaysia and Singapore. That overlaps, again, with the information in the Clade X discussion. Most of those cases result from farmers coming into direct contact with sick pigs. I mean, th- really, with contaminated pig tissues. Now, here's what I don't buy about any of this. This is always, in my opinion, either corporate media that doesn't understand or an intentional misrepresentation. Because if we're talking zoonosis transfer, the zoonotic transfer is what they're saying. That doesn't just occasionally happen and then stop. Like, the idea would be if it's suddenly changed to be able to infect humans, then it goes. It doesn't just, you know, have the, oh, it got that guy. And then a month later, and then uh, two years later, we had one more case like that. That maybe if they were isolated, if you believe this is actually something that's real, we should be questioning all of it. My point, though, is if it's already found a way to infect humans, then we would have continued to see this at least somewhat grow. I, the idea it, it either has shifted from that or not. And let's remember that from COVID-19 discussion, they screened at the wet market. I think we all know that was a lie at this point. At the very least, they had no real information like Russell Brand's situation is what they love to do. They just go off the narrative of what the intelligence says and you know, tells them, and then they don't have anything to back it up. There were experts right out of the gate going, you know, whether or not we had the lab leak conversation or the bioweapon conversation, there were people that were like z- the, saying the zoonotic transfer op- conversation is unsound. That they they challenged the entire possibility of that. Now, look, you you there's evidence for it. My point is there are experts that would tell you that's not what's happening. That these are weapons or people that are being, these things are being weaponized or however you want to look at it. My point though, is if we have cases that they're claiming come from pigs or from bat, uh, what was the next one down here? It says, um, palm sap, date palm sap from, from bats. Of course it's bats. Wouldn't that then like the argument, what they're making with COVID is that it, it, we saw it jump from animals, right? 
And then it all went off. It went from people to people to people. Well, why wouldn't it be the same way here? You see my point? Like, it, 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 once it shifts away from the animal discussion, it would then be present in humans. It wouldn't just stop at that one person and then have to shift from animals again. The next one catches it from the next pig. That's not how that works. I hope you get what I'm saying. Like, I don't know if I explained that well enough, but that doesn't add up to me. That's like going back and forth with this narrative. But it's saying most of them cases, came, most of them came from pigs. About 300 people were confirmed infected and 100 people died. So that, and it just stopped. Okay, well, what, then why then in other places is it need to jump from animals again? You see what I'm saying? There has not been another known outbreak in either country since. Interesting. According to the, United, the CDC, in 2001, Nepal was first identified in Bangladesh, which is where it supposedly starts in the exercise. Since then, the country has experienced yearly outbreaks with cases generally occurring between December and May. But not, nothing exploding, nothing's, no, no, like why then isn't this, like, okay, let's put it this way then. What's different now? Why are they suddenly hyping it now? If they seemingly have these almost like flu-like routine problems, and we know, as we're going to show you in a minute, that it's so, they claim it's so lethal that it's not even really a risk because people die so quickly, and it's not something, you know, it, it, all of this makes no sense. Just, you know, which, which should raise our concern because neither did COVID-19. It's believed the infections in Bangladesh were causing from people from people consuming fruit or fruit products like raw date palm juice or that had become contaminated by the urine or saliva of bats. Down here, it says under symptoms, what some people and this is the point I want you to think about in the PCR test or just, you know, how it could be used. Just like we saw with COVID-19 or how about even monkeypox for crying out loud. There was a brief moment where they were going, you got monkeypox. It's like, well, it could be any number of things. You're not even testing people. That's just how this machine works, right? Some people infected with Nepal, they say, can be asymptomatic. Of course they can. That's a guaranteed necessity for the game, right? They've got to be asymptomatic because then we can argue we don't know for sure. Got to wear masks. Got to lock down. We got to put it on the children because we don't know. It's the same game. I, look, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that that is what is planned or is happening or will happen. I'm just saying that, that if that's what they would want to use, and you know who I'm talking about, the social engineers, the they, the hierarchy enslaving you, they could decide to use this. Initial symptoms of Nepal can also be nonspecific. Oh, well, wasn't that nice? It could look like anything. It could look like anything you want under the sign, nonspecific. So you, you feel sick, probably got Nepal because that's the season we're in. You know, that's the way this will seem to go. Symptoms usually occur, guess what? Four to 14 days after exposure. It's just like the same damn thing, including fever, headache, and respiratory ailments like sore throat, cough, and difficulty breathing. So it's the exact same thing then. In more serious cases, <clears throat> brain swelling. On top of all of it, now again, just so we're clear, I'm not necessarily saying all this is like the same as whatever we're calling COVID-19. Quite frankly, I'm thinking of vaccine side effects. But however you want to look at it, it's the same overlap. And then encephalitis is very clearly, there's at least four peer-reviewed studies I found that connect the injection to brain swelling. So there you go. There's another overlap to this where it could be something that is being caused by the injections, and they just go, oh, well, that's probably that thing. The CDC says there have also been deaths from Nepal months or even years after exposure. Well, look, even better. You can die 10 years later, and it's totally not the vaccine. Like, this is the just hypothesizing, but we can see how it's the same setup. There is no drug treatment for va or vaccine for Nepal, but that's not entirely accurate. We'll get into that next. Quote, this is what we would call a neglected tropical disease. That's important. Is it, though? 
<laughs> right? I mean, we're about to show you that it's nothing of the kind, but why would they report it that way? Why would they act like it's a neglected disease? We're, we, they've been working on multiple animal vaccines. There's multiple mRNA vaccines in the works. There's all sorts of exercises that have focused on this. There is that Clayton X will talk about. How in the world is that a neglected disease? I could point out 14 other diseases that have none of those things. But but that but those aren't the ones, right? It's that that made me very suspicious. Like they're setting the narrative. Now it says under outbreaks could they be prevented? It says Nipah, and this is the point about it being so serious, is not a virus that is likely to be eliminated, according uh according to Bogok. And there will continue to be what are called spillover events or transmission between species. But isn't that, see, that doesn't make any sense to me because the whole argument was that was a rare thing that took a long period of time to happen. A lot of mutations. We're just going to pretend like it's going to be dancing back and forth. What Once it jumps species, that's supposed to be where, I mean, it just doesn't make, it doesn't add up to me. The key, and you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on the topic. I've done a lot of research over the years, but you know, fair enough. The keys to lessening NIMPA's deadly impact are to reduce the number of those spillover events. Okay, this is what gets interesting. I'm going to show you some examples of already working on animal vaccines for this the old hear me on this the only way that could ever work is using self-spreading vaccines and they've made this case endlessly over the last decade so if they're trying to stop these then that's what they're talking about in animals and that's just the beginning step for justifying human to human which by the way they're already using quite frankly i believe that's even what this is the one where the covid injection with the spike protein shedding and that continuing to get people sick i mean what the hell else is that different show but this is from uh the 18th what to know about nipah virus amid outbreak in india now it says india's southern state of kerala is currently facing an outbreak of the rare but potentially serious nipah virus with at least two deaths so far okay two deaths do you know how many people have died from tuberculosis in that time period? More. Do you know how many people have died from everything else? I mean, it's ridiculous. That they, so why are they focusing on this? Especially if they're the ones telling you that it's something that is likely not to be a problematic spreader because it because of the way that it works. Doesn't that, doesn't that interest anybody? I find that very, very concerning. It says, but, uh, but two deaths, it says health officials have closed schools and offices. So, so even though they're kind of downplaying or denying that lockdowns, I even saw a fact check. No, lockdowns haven't happened. Well, what is that then? Health officials have closed schools and offices. So maybe you're not locked into your home, but that's the beginnings of the same thing. That is the beginnings of the same stuff we saw from the COVID-19 illusion. Hundreds of residents are being tested. So how much you want to bet they're going to find more cases. Despite Nepal virus's high fatality rate and no specific treatments available, experts said it's likely, very unlikely, it will lead to a global emergency. But that's what they said about COVID and the other ones too, right? They said, well, it's mostly, I, I forget if they said it at the beginning of COVID, but they said that in previous variant discussions. Well, oh, it's l- less deadly, more transmissible, probably not going to be an issue. And then, then they hype it anyway. But it says, and that it, it's a reminder of how habitat destruction, read climate change, has led to animals transmitting the diseases to humans. They love to overlap this with climate change, even though it doesn't really make that much sense. It's like saying that arsonists started the fire, but the fires are worse because climate change. So still because of climate change. It's like, okay, whatever makes you feel better about your narrative. It's just stupid. But here, first of all, are two animal versions. So just in the context of that there are no vaccines, maybe not immediately available for people, but that's an odd statement when usually they're all about highlighting all of the work that's in in you know in the in the wings. A recumbent 
VSV vectored vaccine rapidly protects non-human primates against lethal Nipah virus. This is from 2022. So you're making this in the middle of the biggest pandemic of our lifetimes, they tell us. That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Now, I'm actually interested, by the way. Hold on. I wanted to forgot to look at this. I, I looked through it for the most part. Oh, that's weird. Whoa. What? That was weird. Why would it? You see that? It changed. Let's see if this goes to it. Oh, that was strange. Anyway, I wanted to look at this. See what this means really quickly. Bear with me. VSV vectored vascular stomatitis virus. That's not probably it, is it? Gene expression. I'll come back to it. I don't want you guys to wait while I search for this. In any case, my point in all of this is that this is about animals. Same one here. Of course, it's AstraZeneca. That's kind of the same opening of the COVID injection. December 2022. Vaccination protects against lethal Nipah Bangladesh virus infection in African green monkeys. Okay, so my point, as we've shown you many times, I mean, I probably even get one to pop up real quickly. Watch. Let's see. I believe this is one of them. Could self-spreading vaccines stop a coronavirus pandemic? This is from 2020, The Telegraph. Now, when you read this, it's talking about animals. Animal to animal. But, you know, maybe eventually human. But I can show you 15 articles talking about human to human ones, too. Johns Hopkins did this in like before COVID, in fact. They've openly talked about this. And, you know, we could uh, play the the videos of the self-spreading vaccine, but you guys have seen that many times where they've openly talked about doing this. My point, though, is that this is about animals. And if you read the article, the whole point is you can't go around and vaccinate every, you know, millions of monkeys. Obviously, right? So then why would they be doing this research? Because it's very clear. Because they're going, if they wanted to execute this and they argued it would stop some transfer, they would execute a self-spreading vaccine amongst the animals. People that hear this probably go, that's so crazy. It's very real. And it's very publicly talked about for a long time. So are they already being used? This is something that's already been out there. Could that eventually potentially translate to a human somehow? It's not the same as the Zoonogs transfer. You're giving them something that sheds just like the ones we're talking about. Could that transfer? Is that what happened? Things we should ask, right? Now, Past those, let's talk about human versions. <clears throat> this is from NipahVaccine.com. A partnership built to succeed. It says, by joining forces, Public Health Vaccines, LLC, and Crosit Biopharma, LLC, are applying to co- their collective vaccine expertise to build a safe and effective novel vaccine against Nipah virus disease with funding from CEPI. Of course, it's from CEPI. Our goal is to develop a single-dose Nipah vaccine that is well-tolerated and effective by employing novel technologies. Can you guess what that is? In the WHO blueprint, Nipah has been named a priority diseases for fast-track vaccine development. Why? Why? With everything we know, with them, with with their statements telling us it's highly unlikely to be a global problem that has been around for a long time. They've almost got seasonal problems with this in other places. But suddenly we go, we need to make this a highlight. That is concerning to me, isn't it? I mean, why would they make it a big focused fast track vaccine if it's not really when there's arguably many, I mean, objectively many more problematic things unless they somehow know this is going to become a larger problem. Here is CEPI, Priority Diseases, saying that CEPI has made investments in 21 vaccine candidates against its priority pathogens, Lassa, MERS, Rift Valley Fever, Nipah, 
Ebola, 14 different COVID vaccines. Why does that even make sense? 13 broadly protected coronavirus. You know what that means? Universal. 13 mod RNA universal vaccines and an array of enabling science projects. The organization is also invested in the development of rapid response platforms like the mRNA platform. It's what that is to develop vaccines against the disease X. Well, maybe that's what this is about to become. That's isn't it clade X. Isn't that what it's about? We're going to get to it. That's pretty concerning. Well, you can read more about this. You know, just talking about it. The point is they're working on this stuff. It's very clear. Thank you to admit Dr. Doug Corrigan for pointing this out. This we'll get into this, what they're working on right now. So he says on July 11th, 2022, July 11th. So think about what's going on in the world on July 11th, 2022. Moderna, Moderna, the company that has only ever made one successful product, COVID-19, well, only ever made a product, <laughs> which is hurting a lot of people, not successful by any metric except monetarily, is somehow in the middle of all of this, making something for Nipah virus out of everything else. How do they know that? Why would they focus on that in 2022? Moderna and the NIH, of course, or NIAID, that's how they say it. I hate that. NIAID sounds quicker. Began a clinical trial on a new mRNA vaccine for the Nipah virus. Really? Now, a little over one year later, the media is ramping up their scare tactics for the Nipah virus, a virus that was identified 24 years ago and has caused isolated outbreaks in Africa and Asia. This outbreak is no different. Why the hype? I, I, I mean, definitely why the hype? We should ask them. That's very clear how the media is used. But why would Moderna, of all people, put money and energy and time and effort into something when they're... I mean, let's be clear. Moderna was a failing company with a failing technology that was not going anywhere until COVID. They, I mean, I shouldn't say it like that. They were getting billions of funding for which people were very confused about. So clearly somebody funding this knew that it was going to be successful when something happened soon. The point for me is that why would Moderna take time in the middle of that to make something for something that we're not even talking about? I, that's a very big red flag for me. And it says, why the hype? Why did they feel it necessary to ramp up a clinical trial one year ago for a virus that has killed less than 200 people over the last 24 years and that has probably been around since 1947? It's a very good question. We'll go into the actual document one second. Let me show you his thread here. Just He just go, shows you all the hype. That's the actual link. But all these different articles. What to know about the Nipah virus from Forbes. Media, another Nipah outbreak in India from NPR. Wall Street Journal. Right, all of them. The, the shout out to, it looks like one of Jiki Leak's... Uh, Mouse Army, Steve uh, Stoof here, points out one of the documents from Claydex. We'll show you in a second. And he goes on March 14th, 2022, four months after the before the clinical trial, the Gates Foundation, of course, announces a new $90 million funding initiative named Pandemic Antiviral Discovery. Now, that's really interesting Before when we get into one of Whitney's articles for The Last American Vagabond titled Engineering Contagion which gets into specifically Claydex, Cladex, and for, I think Claydex is how I would say it, and those exact programs, including a Nipah issue. Where were we? Here we go. He says, quoting from the announcement, the focus of the first RFP will be Henipah virus, a subfamily of paramyoxovirus that includes Nipah virus. A pathogen with an estimated fatality rate of 40 to 
So not only everything else we just said before this, but on top of all of it, you got the Gates Foundation deciding to fund it too. Interesting. Apparently engineered fully infectious Nipah virus sequences, which is one of the points we're going to get into today, were found in the ground zero COVID patients from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is evidence that these employees were genetically engineering Nipah virus. Not only that, there were flu strains and different things that were found in like, so the point here, and I'll get to it in a second, where these were people, these were the like uh, what we're told are like patient zero people in, in Wuhan. Even though we have evidence of what they claim is COVID all over the world before that happened, nobody wants to talk about that. Italy, Taiwan, France. I mean, it's, I mean, it's unbelievable. Canada, many places publicly saying that. But the point is that these people that were tested, and remember what that turned into? That turned into do that fast enough. <clears throat> that turned into Moderna and Pfizer and the sequence they used from China, right? So these original people were tested. And this goes to the main point of why this was not isolated, that it was not actually purified or isolated. It was with, so these people had in the samples that they're testing, uh, they took from these people to say this was COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2. They found Nipah virus. They found, and they weren't just Nipah virus. They were infectious clones that came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I'll get into all of this. Now, how do you possibly explain that? Especially when we have this information showing that they sent this sequence that we're basing and people are basing, are saying this is COVID-19. And then later the CDC of China says they never isolated it. The point being, if, they're at, if the case is this is muddled with all these different things and the DNA, DNA contamination and all we're going to get into, it means that they're giving people something that, one, is not even properly aimed, for lack of a better word, that you know, lack of under, more knowledge for me, but ultimately is guaranteed to cause all sorts of problems, autoimmune issues, I mean, many different things. And why has the data not been shared? No, the data that isolated the virus, that's the issue. NBC News. China's CDC saying when they sent that sequence on January 11th that they had not isolated it. And I have the Moderna clip, maybe not right off my, uh, let's see. That's also important, I think, for this main point. I'll bring it up again in a second. Here it is. Where they're telling you that they never to this day had that sequence in their hands. Entering this, this golden era where, uh, you know. Excuse me, that they never to this day had the physical substance in their hand it was always a sequence on a computer screen to this very day and now we're proving that sequence is not correct biology is going through its own digital transformation we have more and more tools that digitize aspects of biology so uh, at illumina for example we make the machines that do genomic sequencing so you put in blood or saliva or plant material and we'll tell you uh, the DNA or the RNA in that sample. And there are a whole set of use cases uh, after you digitize you know, the, the data. And I'll give you a couple. Uh, one was during COVID. So we were called into China in the fall of 2020, late 2020, uh, sorry, 2019, to help them diagnose what was then a flu of unknown origin. And so we did the first sequence of the SARS-CoV-2 genome. That was published on January 10th. And around the world, what happened was uh, a couple of companies, so Moderna in Cambridge and, and BioNTech in, in Germany, took that data and started working on their vaccine. Now, what's interesting is that Moderna, for example, has never had the live virus on their site. It was all a software problem from them. I remember talking to Stefan, and he was saying, look, we're basing our entire vaccine program on that data you published. 
it better be good data because that's it. That's all we're using. Now, why would they ever do that? You're going to take a gamble like that and base it on something like literally on there. You better you better be right because we're basing everything on it. Everyone's lives, everyone's health are. I mean, really? You know, dangerous things for your safety seems to be the mantra of the day. And uh, and you can get a sense that Moderna is one of, arguably, you know, one of the most, uh, you know, uh, in, one of the more important companies in biology right now. And yet it's all a software problem for them. And so that's a use case of once you digitize biology, you can solve profound biological problems. Another it's a good example, thing you got it right. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> so ridiculous, the things they laugh at. But so going back to this, and again, this is just going through a thread. We're going to flesh this out for you guys. They found engineered fully infectious Nipah virus sequences were found in the people's samples that were taken that they point at for the origin of all this for COVID-19 or whatever we're talking about there. Here's the study. Here's the one of the links I'll show you. And he says a new three weeks ago published PCR protocol for the Nipah infectious developed by the CDC. This is new, guys. This is, I showed you older ones. This is a new updated version. So why is all this happening? August 2023 pretty alarming to me again i don't who knows maybe this is something that's in their belt for later something tells me this is a possibility this is another vaccine technology under development for nepal by the cdc a replicon particle vaccine published last month approximately one month ago the cdc reports on a novel nepal vaccine that involves removing the entire protein from the nepal gene sequence and packaging the new genome into viral particles that can infect cells but that can't spread presumably just like the spike protein can't spread or move past your shoulder muscle, we're told, right? They call this a non-spreading replicon particle vaccine. My God. So we're just, we're barely, so they're proving that this thing doesn't work. They've already done. And they're just moving past that and experimenting further. I, I we're, This is a massive worldwide experiment as far as I can tell. And that's pretty horrifying. Thank you, Dr. Doug Corrigan for pointing all of this out. I think this is important stuff. So here it is on July 11th, 2022. July 11th, NIH launches clinical trial of mRNA Nipah virus vaccine. Why are we still using the mRNA delivery system that is clearly hurting people? NIH, part of the NIH, has launched an early stage clinical trial evaluating an investigational vaccine to prevent infection. Remember when they said that about the COVID vaccine? They're like, it's not experimental. (laughs) People are just so willfully stupid. It's obviously the same thing here because this is another experimental version to prevent infection with Nipah virus. The experimental vaccine is manufactured by Moderna. Of course it is. Let's not forget that Robert Langer is the co-founder of Moderna, and that's where this entire system comes from. In collaboration with NIH's Vaccine Research Center, it is based on messenger RNA platform. So all they're doing is just pumping in the new sequence and giving you a new vaccine. That's how this is going to work. Platform. And it's mod RNA, and they still lie about that. It's not messenger RNA. It is N1-methylpseudouridine-modified RNA. That's what they're using. Especially if it's... I mean, that's even the new the new XPB version. I just proved that in the last show. This is what they're doing. And that's why it's lasting. That's why it's circulating your bloodstream 28 days later and on and on and on. Here's the clinical trial for it. just wanted to show you the dates here. J- July 11th, 2022. They claim it'll be completed by October 1st, 2024. Okay, why? Why is it taking until next year? Ask yourself that. If they're telling us, if they just pumped out XBB, it's the same process. You're taking the same mRNA lipid nanoparticle platform and you're putting in a new protein. 
In this case, something that relates to the Nipah virus. So why is it taking a year? Well, technically, it should take four years because that's how you used to actually study these things. But today, they're telling us the XBB vaccine is going to be ready in in months, but we're going to give this one a year. It's completely arbitrary. Probably because they're actually going to do some level of safety testing or whatever they're going to tell you. The point is, the one they just jammed down people's throats and they're actually giving people is, as I said, less tested than any of them. I should have actually included that. I've only really been one focus so far on this XBB vaccine, but it's really the same thing, guys. It's the same problematic issue. So make sure you make sure you don't miss this discussion if you want to go deeper on what the, as I wrote, new XBB15 COVID injection has all the same issues as the previous dangerous shots with less data. It's just so unbelievable. So here is where we bring it into the Clade X tabletop exercise. So if you're not familiar with what that is or what the Clade X is in particular, think Event 201. It's the same kind of thing. So what's important here, you can read through all this, has all the information and all the source material and so on. Well, I'm going to start with Whitney's article, and then we'll go into some of the documents and actually show you directly from their website what they're talking about. Here's what Whitney wrote. And again, I just cannot stress this enough. If you're unfamiliar with her work, either on T-Lab, Last American Vagabond, or Unlimited Hangout, because she often reposts them a couple days later on Unlimited Hangout, but also has her work that's not on T-Lab, that's on Unlimited Hangout. Her work is so prescient to all of this. I mean, guys, she literally was breaking this stuff down in ways that I wasn't even really coming to terms with until further into COVID-19. And even now, I'm looking back at some of the older articles. I'm like, I can't believe I forgot about that. Way ahead of the story. It's this part of it, which was a series for her that you can find under her tab here, Whitney Webb, engineering contagion there's four parts to it this is part four engineering contagion U- upmc corona thrax and the darkest winter now we're going to skip to the main part please read through these you really i can't stress this enough how important that series was to what's really going on in COVID 19 things that people are start breaking right now connecting the dots to things that she was outlining in 2020 this starts here with paul dupree darpa funded researcher and gain-of-function enthusiast, director of UMPC's Center for Vaccine Research, who we just mentioned, by the way. Paul Dupree is a former chief scientist for Johnson & Johnson, of course, whose subsequent foray into academia was largely funded with research grants from the NIH and the Pentagon's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, otherwise known as DARPA. Much of Dupree's research has focused on recombinant, i.e. genetically engineered, viruses or viral evolution. Recumbent. That's what we're talking about. Viral evolution. Now it says, in terms of his research funded by DARPA, Dupree was most closely associated with DARPA's prophecy program. I love the names. It's exactly what you think it is. The creation of which was overseen by Michael Callahan. Of course it was. Now there's a great article linked right here that she talks about Callahan. Callahan's suspect past and his ties to the origin of the current COVID-19 crisis in Wuhan, China, were the suspect subject of a recent unlimited hangout article. Now, the point was that now, that's not to say that we were saying that we believe the narrative. It's just ultimately that, that this was written in 2020. So she's saying that whatever's going on over there right now, this he's tied to this discussion. In that article, the unlimited hangout article, the author notes that the now defunct prophecy program had, quote, sought to transform the vaccine and drug development enterprise from observational and reactive to predictive and preemptive 
through algorithmic programming techniques. There's your AI overlap, the great reset technocracy. They're talking about invasive in your body, predictive actions, implantables, nanotechnology, internet of nano things. These are not hypo- This is not hypothesis. This is what they're openly well before 2020 saying they wanted to go into. We've talked, and this again is where it overlaps with the Lieber Langer discussion about the internal biosurveillance, the way that they've allowed these things to be using the lipid nanoparticle delivery system to get them inside of cells to be able to be surveilled. It all overlaps. That's Charles Langer, Robert Lee, Charles Lieber, Robert Langer. Actually, I'll just bring this one up for one, another Whitney uh, article. It's, it's one of the important ones that connects Charles Lieber with Robert Langer. They're central parts in this illusion. Bob Langer, the coronavirus common denominator, he's the co-founder of Moderna and one, you know, pretty much the creator of some of the like some of the most important technology that is allowing these dangerous bioweapon dual use injections they're giving. He's tied to Charles Lieber. Make sure you check it out. Back to her article. So it says in the article, he notes that the defunct program has transformed the drug delivery enter- development enterprise to basically preemptive prophecy, right? And, the, and that the program further proposed that viral mutations and outbreaks could be predicted in advance to more rapidly counter the unknown disease with preemptive drug and vaccine development. Now, I guarantee there are some people in this that think that is a good thing with have good intentions that believe we're going to help people. But I could prove to you that whether it even does do that, there will be powerful people that will abuse that system when they choose to, if not entirely and lie about all of it, especially if you think that these things don't exist at all. Very important, because ultimately it's just it's the pre it's medical pre-crime. You're about to get sick. You better do something. You know, you better lock down, put your masks on, take take your preemptive injections we have stored in your homes now. Get ready. Oh, good thing we did it because now it didn't happen. Well, was it ever going to happen? Was it just about control? We really need to think about this stuff. By all indications, she continues, Prophecy, the the program they're talking about, was DARPA's first major foray into predictive AI-powered healthcare, which has expanded considerably in the years since. It also involved a component which Dupree was particularly involved in advancing, whereby the predictive viral evolutions algorithms would be validated and tested by using multiple selective pressures on at least three closely related virus strains in an experimental setting. You know what that's called? You guys know. Gain of function. You are literally selectively pressuring these to evolve and change in ways that can be potential. That's that's the earliest conversation about emergence, the viral emergence, or what was the title I'm forgetting now? Poised for emergence. Talking about the, the example they knew that it was, it was altered to be able to infect human cells. So that's what they're talking about. And then going, well, this one is going to get people sick and we're going to do something about it. But how does that make sense? Unless the thing they did is what they're using or got out. It's the idea of pretending that they can make a altered thing in the lab and somehow have a vaccine for it in the one in a billion chance that it actually organically happens elsewhere. That's, that's absurd, guys. Dr. Boyle makes this case. Plenty of honest people make this case who are... Dr. Boyle being the person who made the biowarfare... Uh, created the Biowarfare Act they still use in the United States. Yet today, because he calls them out, he's a conspiracy theorist, but they still use his Biowarfare Act. It's just obvious. Such experiments, like this study by Dupree, involve the genetic engineering of three viral pathogen strains 
and then seeing which would become most transmissible and virulent in an animal host. Such studies are often referred to as gain-of-function research and are incredibly controversial and illegal, by the way, when they were doing them, given that they often create pathogens that are more virulent and or transmissible than they otherwise would be. And you can hear Fauci right now. We have never done gain-of-function and you know, he's a liar, guys. It's blatant. And all and everyone in power knows that. So that's the system. Welcome to America, guys. It's not that's the reality of this game. And then you can ask if whether people like uh uh Rand Paul is is genuine with what he's doing. Because people have made comments about this and say, look, if he really wanted to make this happen, the evidence is there. So people argue it's more theater than anything, but it's up for you to decide. Now, it says it is also worth noting that UMPC before Dupree joined the center had also received millions in funding from DARPA's prophecy program, quote, to develop in vitro and computational models for predicting viral evolution under selection pressure from multiple evolutionary stressors. And you could also ask whether this was just something that was happening that then got out because, again, that's happened many times over the years. And you could argue even that was deliberate, but ultimately they argue it was by accident. Dupree has also been involved in conducting research for DARPA's current called Interfering and Co-Evolving Prevention and Therapy Program known as Intercept. A successor to prophecy that, quote, aims to harness viral evolution to create a novel adaptive form of medical countermeasure. Welcome to COVID-19. Medical countermeasure therapeutic interfacing particles, otherwise known as TIPs. Well, doesn't that sound a lot like what we were just talking about? The idea of this, the ability to, this to me is kind of the idea of of the budding idea, the beginnings of a self-spreading concept, possibly internally. Like what they're saying is, I said right here, it says that that out-competes viruses in the body to prevent or treat infection. Dan, I was trying to look for this. Here we go. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. Just continues to get more relevant every day. That was pre-COVID-19, Forbes and Pfizer talking about what we're talking about. But it's all fake news, right? Very clear. Let me read that again. A successor to the prophecy that aims to harness viral evolution to create a novel adaptive form of medical countermeasure therapeutic interfering particles, TIPs, that outcompetes viruses in the body to prevent or treat infection. That's nanotechnology and really the Internet of Nano Things. TIPs are genetically engineered viruses that defective ge- with defective genomes that theoretically compete with real viruses for viral components in the body, but evolve with the viruses they are meant to protect the body against and are susceptible to mutation over time. The goal of the Intercept program is to use TIPs as therapeutics, which is kind of what they're pointing out right now with Nipah, and have them injected into the human body to preemptively protect against the virus from which a particular TIP was developed. So this is my point about everybody go get their one shot that injects you with whatever nanotech you need to go, and then you need, you know, software updates, literally. It is worth noting that while DARPA frames much of its gene editing research 
including its genetic extinction technology research, as being aimed at promoting either human or environmental health. It has also openly admitted that these same technologies are of interest to DARPA for the ability to subvert the genes of human adversaries of the U.S. military via genetic weapons. And there's the RFK overlap again. It's very real, and they've openly talked about this. Just because they pretend they're not doing it doesn't mean the technology couldn't be used for that. It is a dual-use tech. They know that. I mean, even going overlapping this with something like the, the Monsanto Terminator seed, which is very real, and you can show their own documentation. They claim they never used it. It's on a shelf somewhere. I, I highly doubt that. The point was they created something that was used just like that. There was something that would ultimately stop. Like, the idea is that it is things that will effectively, you could be used to help you in a way if you utilize it for your own purposes, but it also could be used to contaminate other crops. It's dual use technology, guys. That's how all of this stuff is meant to work. Dupree led an intercept study published in February of this year, 2020, in which he and his co-authors explored how to create a synthetic TIP of none other than the Nipah virus. Think about that. So a TIP, Again, being therapeutic interfering particles that outcompete viruses in the body to prevent and treat infection. Medical countermeasures, nanotech. So what they're saying is they already did this. And this is even different. Maybe it's not. Maybe this is the the overlap with the Wuhan virology. virology. You can decide for yourself. But saying that in 2020, they were exploring how to create synthetic TIPs. Doesn't that sound like infectious Nipah clones that were found in the original people in Wuhan? It sort of does. Synthetic TIPs of the Nipah virus, a deadly virus with a fatality rate of over 70%, or it can be. In that study, they used both wild and genetically engineered strains of Nipah virus. Notably, the Clade X pandemic simulation, which will be discussed in detail in the next installment of the series, involved in a genetically engineered combination of the Nipah virus and a para-influenza disease. Interesting. This is really important right here. Take a picture of this for later. The reason this is so important is because as we get into what was actually found in the people from Wuhan, guess what it was? A genetically engineered infectious clone of Nipah as well as a specific uh, uh, para-influenza clone. So certainly could be a grand coincidence, and we'll get to this right after this part. Or it could be that this was something they worked on, and that was the beginning of what ended up happening, maybe by design, maybe by accident. And now suddenly, the Nepal part of this is coming out because it's going to be taken advantage of. Claydex took place in 2018 and was led by much of the same team that was responsible for the 2001 Dark Winter bioterror- bioterrorism simulation including former FDA commissioner Mar- Margaret-, Margaret Hamburg and, of course, Tara O'Toole and Thomas Inglesby. We've all talked about all of those people of the UM- UP- UPMC Center for Biosecurity. Another notable participant at Claydex was Julie uh, uh, Gerberding, former CDC director and current executive vice president at Merrick, which has close ties with UPMC, as well as the Center for Biosecurity's failed 21st Century Biodefense Project. A few months after publishing the study funded by DARPA's Intercept program, Dupree co-authored another study on the use of synthetic nanobodies. We just talked about this. 
bioengineered synthetic nanoparticles acting as antibodies. Also, an important one that we need to re rehash, to be quite honest, the idea of nanobodies and how that ties into the current discussion. That's weird. Did I just, did it just stop? That's crazy. See how, see how that happens? I didn't end that. They just stopped. That's what I mean. Somehow the, the, the app just glitches out. For those in the podcast, it was all highlighted. It just went away. In any case, I was, en I was ending anyway. Saying the new study co-authored, it, it was about synthetic nanobodies. Synthetic antibodies. Nanotech antibodies. That they could then use new software or new technology to update. Right? Moderna's concept of a platform and plug-and-play technology was not really just an analogy. Since that was published in August in 2020, this effort mirrors other DARPA health-focused projects. That study was funded by the University of Pittsburgh at NIH and the NIH and none other than Israel's Ministry of Science and Technology. Of course, of course it was. So all of this stuff is so very important. So we have the NEPA clone along with the, the, in, the parainfluenza overlap. We have the nanobodies, the nanotechnology, all of this stuff overlaps with exactly where this is going. Now, here is the study we were talking about in, uh, in where was the date, 2020, discussing the, the one that, that Whitney pointed out in general. You can read more if you want, but it's about the TIP, the inhibition of, the inhibition of NEPA virus by defective interfering particles. That's what she's talking about. These are the TIPs. So just so you can see it in general, so you understand that this was not something we're just you know taking from somewhere else. Here's the actual document from Claydex. Just generally giving you NEPA virus facts, right? You, you can, and all of this stuff is accessible on this website. Here's the one from the, from, uh, the Twitter page that was on the thread. Just simply pointing out the overlaps here. And again, this is about a hypothetical tabletop exercise about some future problem. Clade X, which again is the disease X overlap. Now it says the imagined Clade X pathogen is a hybrid of two similar viruses. NEPA virus and human parainfluenza virus. Well, look at that. So isn't it interesting that they're going to literally say, this is what we're going to pretend we're going to see for something that there's no reason would be a risk, even right now, that like we just explained for you. It's something that's never been a problem in a real sense, like in the sense that we should have this global conversation about it. But yet you could point out that in this 2020 study, they literally discussed using it for this exact purpose. Or that is the Claydex overlap. I'm sorry. I meant ultimately that they're talking about the overlap of both of these things in regard to the TIPs. But back to this point, saying that it's transmissible in humans, but deaths caused by HPIV is rare. And it just basically goes on to make the point that, that, the, that they're, this is engineered, right? The, saying that in real-world evidence, such, that, uh, such a hybrid virus has actually been engineered. Right. So that's the real point about this. So even in the tabletop exercise, they're saying it's not a, just a zoonotic transfer. Somebody made this. And you can even see that more specifically in this overall. This is one of their slide presentations for, from Johns Hopkins. Of course, it's John Hopkins then and also with the Vent 201 and a lot of them. But Claydex virus synthesis genes for neurologic virulence of NEPA have been inserted into parainfluenza genome. Virologists with special training and a reasonably outfitted laboratory could make the virus. So to understand, very clearly, they're talking about somebody who made this. The only people that could really truly execute something like this are the very powers that are pretending that they're keeping you safe from it. That's the truth. Now, this brings us to the current discussion of how it's building in the world. 
right? So we, we have all of the evidence there going over the idea that this is something that it's not justified what they're doing. And they've already worked on things like this, overlapping even into the Great Reset nanotech nanobodies direction. But we should genuinely ask whether that could be something that was simply tested on that got out of hand. Just like we talk about with COVID, that's a real possibility or used is also possible. Oh, uh, let me see. I don't see anything about aerosolized. All right. Yeah. Orwell in the chat saying, look at the aerosolized slide. Maybe maybe it's on a different uh, section. But yeah, so, you know, on that point then, you know, ta- she's talking about the idea of this being, you know, aerosolized and so on. But that's where I think the core point in all this is. Going back to the same idea. The idea that these are these are things that are, they're not using the term self-spreading. But what we're talking about is something that would ultimately be in that very vein, like over, oh, going over all of this kind of stuff. I think that's the ultimate end goal. And again, I genuinely believe that is what's currently happening. Whether we're talking self-amplified that kind of got out of, it ended up being the same kind of concept or deliberately made self-spreading vaccine. I, I mean, again, the point is they've already, I argue, working on stuff like that for the animal side of this. And, you know, whether accident or deliberate, it's hard to tell. But the point overall being this is something engineered. So now we're into the idea of this is from four days ago. Now, I actually had a hard time confirming this. I only saw this on GB News and a couple of others. So grain of salt. But this does, Mark, this does appear to be reported by and and the images I wasn't able to find anywhere else, which usually tells me they're unique images. But it's saying biohazard tents at the port of Dover after reports of unwell migrants arriving in Kent. So this overlaps with a couple of other discussions. Right. The whole weaponized migration conversation, foreign policy and how that's used and when they want to point at it kind of thing. But the point is here that they're saying, you know, un- reports of unwell people. And you saw that these tents, people in biohazard suits, this is happening like in the last so many days. Biohazard tents were set up in the port of Dover following reports of migrants from France feeling unwell. The nature of any potential illness has not been confirmed. OK, well, why? If it was a problem. You know, China didn't let us know. Well, there we are. If, if this ends up being something that they claim is happening and they kept it under wraps, it's like, that's pretty interesting. The UK Health Security Agency said, quote, precautionary measures such as staff wearing protective clothing and enhanced cleaning were taken in line with their guidance. So now we're pretending when somebody is reported to feel unwell that you break out the entire hazmat. For, that's, that's ridiculous. So what if they had a cold? I mean, you know, that doesn't line up for me. This was just you know, standard operating procedure. I don't buy it. Routine response with prearranged protocols. Really? Maybe that's just the biosecurity state. They just want to hype up everything that possibly happened. I don't know. But here's my, what Robin Minotti, who shared this, the part from Wuhan that I found from him, which I find very compelling, points out that Dr. Mike Eden, former VP and CSO of Pfizer, says about the Nipah virus. He says, and the link to the, the discussion in their telegrams right there, he says, Nipah, if it's real at all, to understand, he's very much on that on the path of questioning the, I don't think he's questioning that viruses exist in general, but ultimately that some of these things can be fake, but maybe I'm wrong on that. I haven't followed his evolution on that, but questioning the very idea of germ theory should not be something off the table for people. It is not real at all, he says, has killed 10, 10 people o- per year over the last 25 years. A more unlikely candidate for another fictional pandemic would be hard to find. Ignore. He's a very educated person and very, very, you know, highly in, in, in he has the credentials and the standing to speak on these things. 
Now, this one is important. This is where it gets over to the Wuhan Institute of Virology overlap. Rob Amnati points this out. Now, he really just quotes the study. I'll read it directly from the study. But he starts by, oh, actually, he just read, that's the title of the study. And then he just reads the abstract or types it. And then, then I'll read what he says down here. Oh, actually, no, he just goes on to talk about what it is, the infectious virus clone, and what it's typically used for in a lab. So you can, you can read more about that if you'd like. Here's the study itself. Well, first of all, here's it on academia. Here it is on Cornell University. Just want people to see this is not some fringe thing. Like this is a, this is a, a very important study that got zero attention, basically. And I downloaded it on, on the Last American Vagabond in case we can have it there in case something it vanishes these days. Nipah virus vector sequences in COVID-19 patient samples sequenced by the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Very important. So here it is on ResearchGate where I can highlight it. We're going to read through it. Same, same title. September 2021. Here's what it says. We report the detection of Nipah virus in an infectious clone format. Okay, so that's not something that's organic. It's cloned. A a BSL-4 level pathogen, because it's such high lethality, and CDC designated bioterrorism agent. So again... I guess the I guess the ones they would label as bioterrorism agents would be the ones that are, you know, super high level dangerous that could then ultimately be like modified into being something that could spread. Like that's what they would claim. My point though is that there's no reason to think that this today was immediate risk. Unless the idea is that there's something being pushed in all this. So this this goes back to the origins of where they claim COVID-19 was discovered and this is what they also had in their bodies. That's what this point is. So Nipah is a BSL-4 level issue and CDC designates as a bioterrorism risk in, and they found this in raw RNA sequence, sequencing reads deposited by the Wuhan Institute of Virology produced from five December 2019 patients infected with SARS-CoV-2. So again, that's where this comes from, right? The sequence that we're told that, that did the computer screen sequence that became the basis for Pfizer and Moderna to this very day I mean, look, January 11th, they sent it. Two days later, they'd already made mRNA. They can finalize the sequence for what had been used and is still used to this day. Any and the clip I played for you, they've never had something in their hand. So why did they, why did Trump's administration, Operation Warp Speed, trust China? Didn't didn't they not let us know? Isn't that what he kept telling everybody? But yet on January 11th, they blindly trusted the comp the group that they went on to screen. They lied and lied. They lied. Obviously, that doesn't make sense, does it? So the point is, in 2019, the very some of the first people they tested had all these other things. Research involving Nipah infectious clones has never been reported to have occurred at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. These patient samples have been previously reported to contain reads from several other viruses. So that means that when they tested these people in 2019, December, they also found these other things. Not, you know, you could argue that they were just other issues, but they're not because they identified them as infectious clones from a lab. So here are the other things that were also in these supposed, and also I realize this is not the people they're testing. They've got the samples, the very samples that they claim became this. So in those samples they tested, they also found influenza A, uh, however you pronounce this one, Spodopatura fruperta rhabdovirus and Nipah. So there's your influenza overlap. There's your Nipah. 
Previous authors have interpreted the presence of these virus sequences as indicative of co-infections of the patients in question by these pathogens or laboratory contamination. Or basically, so either, either that they're infected with other things or it was contaminated in the laboratory that they were testing these sequences in. However, the analysis of this study shows that the NEPA genes were encapsulated in synthetic vectors. That's important. No, actually, dang it, I had something. There was something that I was, that I put away that I wasn't going to use today, and then I re- I'm realizing right now that it actually might be important to use. Let me see if I can grab it real quick. Maybe not. Shoot. Well, somebody sent me something recently that was about virus vectors and the same thing. Like, just the point is that they're you, they're working on stuff like this all over the map right now. Not even related to anything we're talking about. Using other viruses as vehicles for delivery for all sorts of things. So, what they're telling you here is that the thing they found these other things, but they were encapsulated in synthetic vectors as they go on to say, which we infer was for assembly of the NIV or the NEPA infectious clone. In particular, we document the finding of internal N, PBWC, and L protein coding sequences, as well as coverage of the G and F genes. Furthermore, the format of hepatitis D virus rib- ribosome and the T7 terminator downstream of the f- five prime end of the NIV NEPA sequence is consistent with truncation required at the end of the genome for full length infectious clone. It's it's interesting. I thought that was an interesting overlap to our conversation with the with the information we're getting from the BNT162B2 Pfizer injection. Remember this discussion? Jessica Rose, PhD, Blotgate, and the unknown risks of truncated spike proteins, because that's what we're finding. Truncated spike proteins suddenly seems a little more interesting when they're saying that these the sequence is consistent with truncation required at the end of the genome for full-length infectious clones. So this is maybe why, the, just a possible overlap. This indicates that research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology was being conducted on an assembled NIV NEPA infectious clone. Contamination of patient sequencing reads by an infectious NEPA clone of the highly pathogenic Bangladesh strain could indicate a significant breach of BSL-4 protocols. So it could simply be that this was something that, you know, they're just contaminated in the lab or could be more what we're talking about here. We call on the, this study calls in 2021 on the Wuhan Institute of Virology, who, by the way, that overlaps with NIH, with North Carolina University, with Eagle Alliance, with the U.S. government, as well as many other governments. None of them cared about this. It says we call on them to explain the purpose of this research on infectious clones of Nipah virus, which is true. The full chronology of this work and to explain how and at what stage of sample preparation this contamination occurred. Or it's not contamination. This is a deliberate use or something that got out that they were working on. Or, you know, generally just could be that these are, you know, you read into it or consider this in many different ways. It's up to you to decide. The point for me is that all of this is very clear when we talk about what we we just went through, what Claydex discussed, exactly the same overlap, the same problem. All this information ties back to the same stuff. And now you can find the exact same things in the samples from the people that started all the COVID-19 illusion. That's pretty crazy. 
It speaks to a lot more bioweapon overlap than anything else. And again, calls into question the very sequences we're still using, they claim, for whatever this was. Now, here's another interesting, this is 2021, an article written by PR Newswire. Same story, but from a different point of this. This is on July 26th. Forensic examination of the Wuhan Institute of Virology COVID patient specimens from December 2019 reveals extensive laboratory contamination, including evidence of genetic manipulation of the Nipah virus. So just understand that that is not something that is being, dis- this is, this, the data shows this. So early, the ver- to the very beginning of this, you can show that the one, they were working on, I would argue, weaponizing the Nipah virus. Of course, they're going to argue it was for, per, you know, find, make it a vaccine, keep you safe, which is illogical and ridiculous. Weaponizing this thing that we're now pointing at, as well as the fact that this is not isolated like they claim, and on top of all of that, is suggestive of some kind of vector overlap of the, what I would argue is dual-use deployed weapon systems. A BSL-4 pathogen more lethal than Ebola. Now, the highlights are interesting. It just simply says, oh, and again, the, the main, um, oh, actually, I'm going to show you the study right here. The title, Contamination or Vaccine Research. That's pretty telling. But it says the highlights, five patient specimens were sequenced, and it says that they found the, uh, this everything we're already telling you. But remember that this report was the one published by Dr. Zhang, uh, Zhang Li Shi. Very interesting there, right? So why wasn't this brought up by them? The most abundant contaminant in the undisclosed uh, is an undisclosed H7N9 influenza virus, which is one specimen, which in one specimen, guess what? Is over six times as abundant as SARS-CoV-2. So we're led to believe that they don't know this, that you can have a specimen that's one of the origins that was used to argue they isolated this from the very beginning that has six times as much flu sequence than SARS-CoV-2, yet they claim that's evidence of SARS-CoV-2? <laughs> I don't buy that. And it says the Nipah virus, Nipah virus gene sequences were found in infectious cloning vectors of the type used for genetic manipulation. All of this is very clear. 19 other contaminants. In what they're telling you is an isolated sample, including Japanese encephalitis virus, HIV, which makes sense, human T-cell leukemia virus, and hepatitis delta virus were found. All these things we're seeing related to COVID injections. On top of the SV40, cancer overlap, and the DNA contamination we'll get into next. Here's what this study says, July 3rd, 2021. All of the five samples analyzed by the machine, the analyzing machine they have there showed the presence of a sequence H7N1 hemagglutinin sequence segment four gene in a relatively high proportion, in one case, six times the amount. So you can see it right there in the study of SARS versus SARS CoV 2. The Wuhan Institute of Virology publication documented that DNA vaccines containing the influenza genes were being developed and tested in mice at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So let's be very clear about this. This study, which it got ignored, is proving that on the record that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was on the record studying H7, H7 and 9 genes in the lab on mice. And they found that in what they're telling us are samples from the original supposedly SARS-CoV-2. So either these people were infected with all these things or those things were part of all, all overlapped in some bioweapon delivery system or they got contaminated from the samples they sent from Wuhan. Either way... 
none of this adds up with all the stories we're told and isolation and everything else. It says the presence of cloned H7N9HI gene segment in the transcriptome data of the early five patients processed in the Wuhan Institute of Virology should be treated as an important forensic clue and warrants a full investigation. Sure does. Nobody cared then. The most important question, considering the plausible hypothesis that the SARS-CoV-2 could have escaped due to a lab accident would be, what does the co-occurrence of vectorized, important, H7N9 sequences with SARS-CoV-2 sequences in the early COVID patients suggest? Well, we just answered that. Nobody cared about this, especially not the experts that knew better. Now, today, this is, po- this is from today, Bengal man who returned from Kerala admitted to Calcutta Hospital with Nipah symptoms. So now you're just writing articles about unknown, just like COVID started, with symptoms of the virus. Okay, so fever and and nausea. Could be literally anything, but because we're talking about Nipah. And then, so that concerns me. The fact this is already being written like this begins to worry me. And And you'll see the same thing. This is from today. This is only news from today. Nipah virus outbreak. What your what scientists know so far? What to know about the Nipah virus? New Nipah outbreak in India brings high alert. Look, Guardian, Conversation, New York Post, Forbes, everybody, literally everybody. Like we said with the, with the brand thing, when you see across the board, partisanship be damned, everybody covering the same story, it's a, usually a good indication that there's something wrong. Now, the last points I want to get into here overlap with the idea of the DNA contamination discussion. You might have seen this circulating. I've had this pulled aside for a few days or uh, when was the 17th? So, yeah, a few days. I just haven't got a chance to go, in, go into these. And I think it's important. This has gone around for a reason because it's an important clip. Now, we have to give the shout out to Do- Dr. Kevin McKernan. He's the one that truly broke this story about the SV40, the DNA contamination. And he's been ringing that bell. What, why this is important is because this appears to be somebody who did his own independent research and just came to the same conclusion. And seems like somebody who believes that by telling them this, that they'll actually do something about it. So it suggests he's somebody who is like on their side, however, if, if you look at it like that, and just thinks that, hey, there's a problem. We'll, we'll deal with it because you guys care. Maybe in a couple months when he realizes they don't care, that he'll be somebody who realizes the bigger problem. Well, maybe he does now. I don't know. But what he's telling you is the Pfizer vaccine is contaminated with plasma DNA, not just mRNA, which, by the way, could be an accident or it could be literally what we're talking about here it could be exactly what we are seeing just deployed elsewhere it's a very interesting conversation razor which is never attribute malice to that which can be better explained by incompetence and so i'm trying to be gracious here in many in circumstances there could be malice underneath but i'm trying to see just incompetence to be gracious so The Pfizer uh, vaccine is contaminated with plasma DNA. It's not just mRNA. It's got bits of DNA in it. This DNA is the DNA vector that was used um, as the template for the in vitro transcription reaction when they made the mRNA. Um, I know this is true because I sequenced it in my own lab. The vials of Pfizer vaccine that were given out here in Columbia, uh, one of my colleagues was in charge of that vaccination program in the College of Pharmacy, and for reasons that I still don't understand, he kept every single vial. Um, so he had a whole freezer full of the empty vials. Well, the empty vials have a little tiny bit in the, in the bottom of them. He gave them all to me, and I looked at them. We had two batches that were given out here in Columbia, and I checked these two batches, and I checked them by sequencing. And 
I sequenced all the DNA that was in the vaccine, and I can see what's in there. And it's surprising that there's any DNA in there, and you can kind of work out what it is and how it got there, and I'm kind of alarmed about the possible consequences of this, both in terms of human health and biology, but you should be alarmed about the regulatory process that allowed it to get there. So this DNA, in my view, it could be causing some of the rare but serious side effects like death from cardiac arrest. There's a lot of cases now um, of people having suspicious death after vaccine. It's hard to prove what caused it. It's just, you know, temporally associated. Um, and this DNA is a plausible mechanism, okay? Uh, this DNA uh, can and likely will integrate into the genomic DNA of cells that got transfected with the vaccine mix. This is just the way it works. We do this in the lab all the time. We take pieces of DNA, we mix them up with a, a lipid complex like the Pfizer uh, vaccine is in. We pour it onto cells and, and a lot of it gets into the cells and a lot of it gets into the DNA of those cells and it becomes a permanent fixture of the cell. It's not just a temporary, um, a temporary thing. It is in that cell and all of its progeny from now on forevermore, amen. So that's why I'm kind of alarmed about this DNA being in the vaccine, it's, it's, it's different from RNA because it can be permanent. This is a real hazard for genome modification of long-lived somatic cells, like stem cells, um, and it could cause, theoretically, this is all a theoretical concern, but it's pretty reasonable based on solid molecular biology, that it could cause a sustained autoimmune tack toward that tissue. It's also a very real theoretical risk of future cancer in some people, depending on where in the genome this foreign piece of DNA lands, um, it can interrupt a tumor suppressor or activate an oncogene. I think it'll be rare, but I think the risk is not zero, and it may be high enough that we are to figure out if this is happening or not. And again, the, the, the autoimmunity thing is not my wheelhouse. I'm not an immunologist, but the cancer risk is. That's my bag. I know this is a thing, and it is a possibility. Everything he lists off right there. Is that not literally what we're seeing across the board? And so it, here's why that's so important to me, on top of the obvious. That is another independent expert in a cancer focus finding, coming to the same independent conclusion that people like Dr. Kevin McKernan and other independents around the world have decided based on their own research. It's there. It's DNA contamination that's causing all of the things they're denying are happening right now. Cancer, turbo cancers, autoimmune issues, literally all of it. I mean, it doesn't mean that all of it is connected. Certainly could be other things happening in the world. The point is that you can prove, as he's showing you, a mechanism by which these things will happen if what he's saying is true. And they can prove it. And yet, it doesn't matter. We just, they just march forward. Here's the new XBB vaccine because we don't care. Now, here's the full clip. Thank you, CJ, for posting this. Here is the, another one, Refuge, Refuge of Sinners, the one that posted all these videos. And this is somebody else speaking on this. This is uh, Dr. Lindsay. This is Dr. Lindsay. I didn't see the last name. I had, another, I had the other um, post pulled up. I closed it uh, right here. Uh, Dr. Jancy Lindsay at the Senate hearing in South Carolina, both of them. I'll, I'll just play it for you. And this gets into the SV40 discussion, but she's much more clear about her belief that this is not by accident said earlier nefarious you felt like this was more nefarious than dr burkholder in what sense are you saying that the sv40 sequences they should not be there 
they don't need to be there to grow this into back to grow this in bacteria. I don't think it's an accident. They could have chosen another plasmid that did not have the SV40 sequences. If these sequences sit above an oncogene and, and they're promiscuous, that means they are likely to, to integrate in places more likely than other genetic inserts. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, then they can cause cancer. Insertional mutagenesis anyway causes cancer. Uh, and that's the risk. That's why gene therapies were not brought to market for so many years, because there was a risk of causing cancer from insertional mutagenesis. We never needed these vaccines. We had treatments that worked. Uh, one of our doctors here is going to tell you about that, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. I can tell you, as a toxicologist, they are not toxic. They're, they're some of the safest drugs you can use. I... There's no reason once the FDA found out about this contamination, okay? And we looked to see endotoxin levels, but they've got them all redacted. Why would you redact them if you were trying to be transparent? Why would you hold the data for 75 years, all of the clinical data, for 75 years from these if you were trying to be transparent? Tell me why. There is something very unusual going on here that is being done differently than it's ever been done before. Right. We don't give experimental products to pregnant women. We don't give experimental products to babies that have a death profile like this. It's not done. It's never been done before. Please protect your citizens. Please. I am begging you. And this is what we're seeing all over the place, guys. Experts. Not fringe people, but the body, like the majority of high leading experts. That's why you see, you know, Joe with a lab coat on the on Fox and CNN right now. I keep saying that because the, weirdly enough, I think we know why experts are quiet. <laughs> they don't want to stand up and go, they're safe and effective because they're not stupid. Because even the people that were early on taking the narrative and even shouting you down have come along to realize that th there's enough evidence. I mean, the honest ones that just were quick to shout you down because they thought they were superior, but they're still honest. They still eventually found out, never said, I'm sorry, but move forward and stop posting, stop being the guy on Fox News or CNN. These are the people that know what they're talking about, that are all, all, all over the, as, as, Tesla, as uh, Dr. Lowry pointed out, all around the world, hundreds of organizations are banding together to stand up against the WHO and the rest of this stuff. This is the truth, guys, and it really is that obvious. It makes me blown away that people still can't see this in some cases or just want, don't want to. To protect your citizens, we've got to get one state to stand up and do the right thing. Do whatever you can so that other states will follow. I'm sorry. Well, thank you, Dr. Uh, Lindsay. Any questions? That's just, it's just so crazy. That she needs to stand there and plead with them to do what's the most obvious thing in the world. Well, this brings us to the next section here, which is about the idea of, I, I mean, I don't actually, oh, I have a couple points I was going to add to this, but just wanted to include this, right? So as we're talking about the idea of this being something potentially deployed, at the very least, not organic, obviously, something that was altered, genetically engineered, getting into the, all, you know, whatever angle this goes in, let's realize that we do have evidence that they tried to suppress this conversation. Now, that does not therefore mean that that's the truth. 
That may seem abstract to some people, but we have to think further than one obvious step in front of us, right? These people are very aware that we see some, in some cases, that they're being dishonest. So they know that there's a huge grouping of, you know, freshly minted conspiracy theorists out there. And I don't mean that even a derogatory way that are of the mind that if they say it, the opposite is true. If you're censored, then you are the honest one. And that's just wildly naive. It could mean that. You think they don't see that? <laughs> they use that against us. And that's one thing I argued with, you know, possibly with brand or other people. Like, is this, I don't think that. I just throw it out there as a possibility. Could this be a way to drive us in a certain direction? Yes, it could. It's certainly one of the possibilities. So we just need to not be so quick binary in our thinking, right? So my point is that the CIA comes out, or we, it, it turns out the CIA tried to suppress that story. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true, but it still shows you that they're caught in an effort to suppress this conversation. And, or, you know, and it's certainly possible as well, take it one step further, that they want us to see that. You know, I'm not really helping my case with the people that don't like this stuff, but ultimately that's the truth. Chief, Chief Nerd point this out. This is from a Fox News post, but it's, it's all over the map. And here's the actual directly from Congress. So you can see that for those that would Swiss it because Fox News, I don't know why you would. But it says the whistleblower told Congress the CIA assigned seven officers to a COVID discovery team, which consisted of a multidisciplinary and experienced officers with significant scientific expertise. According to the whistleblower, at the end of the review, six of the seven members believed it was basically from a lab. They were then pressured and paid significant money to change their position. That was the finding of the from directly from the co committee on, of, on oversight uh, for, you know, for its Congress. And it's, it's the select subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic and permanent select committee on intelligence have heard testimony of the whistleblowers. And it's exactly what he just read. Right there. Offered six analysts significant monetary incentives to change their position on the origin. That was September 12th. So why? And then I'm gonna play, I'll play this clip again for those that didn't see it in the beginning. This is Sam Husseini, who I'm going to be interviewing next week. Press, asking a very basic question. Now, with all that we have, and even the corporate media now openly conversing about the possibility of a lab origin, this is how this guy responds? <laughs> I mean, that talk about a red flag. He went from USAID to this, to the work at Wuhan and to their collaborator, Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina uh, to create, the, to collect. Realize that he tried to stop him right there. Uh, everything he said is not only true, it's easily verifiable. Again, even the corporate media is talking about that now. But again, then he says, I think, weaponizing next. But even that is provable. Just because you say you're doing it to make vaccines, you're still weaponizing it. That's what's gain of function. And then you argue you're making something, you're weaponizing it to stop the bad guys from getting to it first. Whatever the logic, nonsensical logic, it's still the truth. But I'll start over. Just listen to it. You've seen this already for most people, but it's very telling. SAID to this, to the work at Wuhan and to their collaborator, Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina uh, to create, to collect and make coronaviruses that are weaponized, that um, are more deadly. So that's gain of function, 100%. Weaponized, more virulent. I mean, that's what we're talking about, guys. And he just refuses to answer as like clutching his pearls, like how dare you suggest such a thing? I, first of all, reject the implicit accusation in that question. And the accusation that they made things more dangerous in the lab, which we can prove by their own statements and documentation. Yeah, this is the ridiculous nature of these people. Like that's a, like this guy's actually, 
I mean, people like Kareen are really bad at this job and make it really clumsily obvious that they're hiding something. He's usually more tactful than that, in my opinion. He's like, he just seems like a robot. But that was what he did there. Again, maybe because they want us asking this question, but it almost, it screams, we don't want to talk about this. We don't want to admit this because we know people are looking at it, even though we can prove it. I do not have at my finger. I, 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 I do not. I do not have at my fingertips the particular details of USAID. Are you saying for certain? Are you saying for certain that no USAID money go, went to the uh, Wuhan I, Institute I've of Virology? The go ahead. No, please tell me. Do you? you know, do you? I, do you I, I, are you I, stating I, that no USAID money went? I will say I, I am happy to take questions from those in this audience. I'm happy to answer them. I appreciate that they treat uh, every person in this room, including myself, respectfully. I call on you. I'm now calling on someone else. Go ahead. Respectfully, please tell me what are you denying? Go ahead. What please. is your denial? It's a non-denial denial. It's just ridiculous. It's not. It's not disrespectful to ask a question, right? He simply, he just didn't even answer it. You're the one being. I mean, I don't even explain that. You guys well know. It's it's childish. It's like it's like Kareen acting like, oh, well, you ruined it. Y'all, you you spoke up out of turn. Now we're going to put you in timeout. Like that's how this feels. It's just really childish. But the point is, clearly, there's something going on there, right? And I recently did a show on August 28th about the overall point about that clip I played as well, but the bigger concept. Turning your body into a drug-slash-weapons factory. Manufacturing illness. Right? The idea is that this is about creating the technology to have a dual-use tech in your body. That's the same stuff they talked about. Just because they label it as you know the TIP discussion in Whitney's article. Label it as being able to get ahead of the virus. The point is, you could change that. If it is something that can be updated based on the new things, which is what they're talking about, the Internet of Nano Things, that they can literally just change it to be something that could make you sick or use your body as a vector to relay something to get other people sick. And if you think that sounds crazy, you're not paying attention. There's been decade of research on the exact topic. Very interesting. Now, Max Headroom points out something that I've talked about already to a degree. He says, well, this is pretty interesting. I always thought Omicron was lab created due to the nature of, of the time it was released and also what happened afterwards. Also, there was never any discussion about the four people that came to Botswana that was carrying the virus. Now, I've mentioned that. I made that point a thousand times. The diplomatic immunity that they came from. They came into Botswana from somewhere. They never told you where. They never told you from what country or what, they, what their origin was, what they were carrying, or they didn't matter because they have diplomatic immunity. They never divulged that. They've re openly refused to tell you who they were documented from Botswana, yet they, they tell you it started in South Africa. There's something going on there. Point was, Cat A points out, it seems the Wuhan lab leak is just the tip of the iceberg. A recent preprint, which we've already shown you, indicates that not only is Omicron artificial, but almost 400 purported variants are not natural mutations, but rather well-ordered, systematic, and artificial worldwide lab creations. Now, in my opinion, the way I read this study, it seems to suggest, and this is one I recently did about that, Omicron is not natural. And then this one I'll include just since we're kind of talking about this. I, I genuinely posed the question whether Omicron was the introduction of the cell-spreading vaccine. But this is the study we've shown you. Now, the way I read this is that what they're ultimately saying is from Omicron forward, it seems to suggest that everything that spawned off from that, not just what we name Omicron, but anything that's under that in that uh, ancestry is then therefore going forward, not natural. But some, some people have argued they read this into the idea there's others that don't apply to Omicron. But from what it says, like you guys come to your own conclusion. The point, though, is that what they're saying is they can prove in their minds, based on the research, 
that some level of this is fake. Well, some level of it isn't. So this is this perfectly lines up with this concept. Omicron, the self-spreading vaccine. Like when that got introduced into the conversation, kind of came out of nowhere. And nobody, and nobody seems to know what, you know, oh, Omicron changed everything. That's what I show you in that last show. That's what they want you to believe. Well, here's what it says. We concluded that the formation of a part of Omicron isolates BA1, BA11, and BA2 was not the product of genome evolution, as is commonly observed in nature, such as the accumulation of mutations and that word always weirds me out. Homologous. Homologous. That's homologous. God, it's really not that I've used that word a thousand times. It's my brain. This is weird. Maybe I'm dyslexic. I think I've just seen me do that many times. Anyway, uh, the recombinations, which we just talked about, the idea of the overlap of, you know, gene uh, gain of function, genetically modifying. Furthermore, the study of 34 recombinant isolates of Omicron variants, BA1, BA2, confirmed that Omicron variants were already present in 2020, which, which makes, makes no sense if that's not something that was introduced until 21, 2022. And it says the analysis showed that Omicron variants were formed by an entirely new mechanism that cannot be explained by previous biology. And knowing how the SARS-CoV-2 variants were formed prompts a reconsideration of the pandemic. Well, yeah, exactly. Now, you, it doesn't mean you blindly take this at face value. The evidence is compelling. But as we always, they could be lying. They could be wrong. That's how actual scientific method should work. Not that the one we like says it all and it's over. Science is settled. <laughs> that's never an honest con- That's the scientists never settled is the point, as Del Bigtree famously said. Here's their clip on it, by the way. If you want to watch that, this is this is Del Bigtree and them talking about it. I've already actually played this clip for you. Thank you to Max Headroom as well for pointing this out. Now, here was another point that I want to include. I've often brought this up. The anomalous appearance of whatever happened in Italy. Because remember, that the early conversation we had about that was that when this was happening, well, first of all, to be clear, they don't they've never really been able to track or prove where this really started from or where how it spread from country to country. Very odd. They typically almost always at least tell us that. But this 2021 October, unexpected detection of SARS-CoV-2 antibodies in the pandemic period pre-pandemic period in Italy. Now, this does two things. It talks about the fact that in Italy, you could find what they're telling you are pre-pandemic antibodies before this ever started. But it also brings to question what happened in Italy that then spread to Iran because there is a an ancestral you know overlap, an ethnic overlap there going back a while, or rather genomic overlap, which which we can prove. It's easily proved. People act like that doesn't make sense because they don't want to think about it. Italy, Iran, do different things. It's very clear to prove. The point is that there was a weird occurrence where it exploded in the middle of Italy. They couldn't figure out where it came from. And, and all of a sudden, Iran and Italy were out of... Re- I believe that was the attempt to test an ethnic side of this. Just a hypothesis. I can't prove that. But it's, it's one of those aspects that seems to have developed as you go further. Now, I'm going to include, again, some of the things we talked about right in the beginning of all this. I, this is a show I did on March 26, 2020. Even more evidence pointing to coronavirus starting in the United States. And it being weaponized. Look at that. This one from February 24, 2020. Studies confirm coronavirus is weaponized. And then the rest, you know, Israel and so on. The point is this stuff is this. We were pointing this stuff out right in the beginning, as a lot of people were. And let's not forget the one I did in 2022. U.S. funded research on coronavirus induced myocarditis. What is that if not a weapon, guys? And we can prove that they went on to do this. They turned it into something that could spread in the caves between the bats. 
on the record, or at least that's what they wrote down in the documentation. And we don't talk about that. Very interesting. Then, of course, Chief Nerd points something out from this is today. This is from the Epoch Times. They suffered myocarditis after COVID-19 vaccination. Years later, some still haven't recovered. Exactly. I mean, I believe this is something that is being used. Now, also don't miss this important conversation, or rather a presentation by David Martin, who I'm going to be interviewing in a couple of days. Be sure you don't miss it. It's very important. And here, here is a link to the bit shoot version of it. It's just easier to see the slides. And then he also included a, uh, just an image with the slides themselves. If you want to use those, it's important because it's all document. Oh, that's the link. I'll just, I'll just use this one. It's right here. And then, of course, Defeat the Mandates points out something very interesting. So if this is not some kind of a military bioweapon overlap, or at the very least, the, the, the nanobodies kind of DARPA Great Reset technocratic overlap, then why would a military officer from DARPA be attending a Pfizer-sponsored legal conference on vaccines? Isn't that interesting? Now, of course... You know us, and I wouldn't just take these screenshots at face value because who would do something as stupid as that? That's such a dumb thing to do, isn't it? Just blindly take a screenshot at face value? We looked it up, as you're supposed to. September 14th to 15th, the 2023 National Vaccine Law Conference. So it already happened. And definitely sponsored by Pfizer and Merck and a whole bunch of other things that would make you really uncomfortable to know that a law, vaccine law conference is being sponsored by the criminals that are pushing dangerous vaccines on people. And here are the people that went. Thank you for to defeat the manage pointing this out. It's a great point. Here, first of all, just really quick showing you her, first of all, since he pointed that out first. Right there. Melinda Morton Hammer, Deputy Director for Operations, Congressionally Directed Medical Research Programs at DARPA. That's a military program, guys. Why? Why is the military involved with a legal discussion about vaccination? Very telling, isn't it? You know who else is involved? You're not going to be surprised. Hey, it's Mr. Bad Teeth, Peter Hotez. Good job, buddy. Still towing the line. Of course he is. Interesting. Now there's some other people you might point out there, but that's a great point, guys, because to me, it's, and we know this, it's always been a military operation, Operation Warp Speed, medical countermeasures. That's what this is really all about. And I think much more, much darker points when you get into wherever it was the overlap of Whitney's article and the tabletop exercises and the pre predictive prophecy predict intercept programs that use nanotechnology in your body to tell you you're going to be sick that can be updated and all of this stuff. It's all, and that ties all the way back to Robert, uh, Robert Charles Lieber's virus size transistors. I want the, uh, oh, dang it. I don't have it. I wanted the old version. Oh, there it is right there. Virus-sized transistors. Wait a minute. Did they update it again? <laughs> what is going on over there? I swear, if they're watching our show, I think that'd be hilarious. For those that follow this show, what was funny is this article's from 2011. And originally said virus-sized transistors. And then they updated the article for some random reason in 2023. Why would they do that? And they changed the title. They removed virus-sized transistor and made it something totally different. They didn't mention viruses or any of it, which I thought was very telling. Now I guess they apparently changed it back. <laughs> it's just really dumb. For those of you that watched what we've done, you probably find that very interesting. I'm going to circle, I'm going to come back to that and use the Wayback Machine to make that point. Why would they have done that? Very weird. Anyway, for the show, the context of today's show, it's irrelevant. Virus-sized transistors. They even changed the image. Look at that. 
Why would they do that? That seems really interesting to me. Now, the point is that they made virus-sized transistors, literally, nanotech, the size of viruses, that they used the lipid nanoparticle concept to make this work all the way back in 2011. So, oh, wait, where were we? So the idea... Oh, wait, I lost... Oh, yeah, so the idea being that, you know, that that's what this could ultimately be about with the DARPA overlap. Now, Brett Weinstein points out, as we should remember, that we must stop the mRNA vaccine juggernaut. The new, quote, vaccines in the pipeline will all be a disaster for humanity. You know why? Because the mRNA platform itself is a recipe for autoimmunity. He's been really adamant about this, and I completely agree. With, quote, the Raven down here, Peter, Dr. Peter McCullough has a conversation about it. Here's the, the show we did about this on August 9th, the, the peer-reviewed study that finds the mRNA platform itself is driving myocarditis. So it really doesn't matter what they change. It's only going to be, you know, more... The, the platform itself is dangerous. So adding something extra dangerous to, you know, spike protein or variations therein are only going to add danger to it. But the point is, no matter what they change, it'll still be dangerous. Now, to finish... A few points about the overall risk. Here's Retsef Levy. We should follow him. He's doing good work pointing out a new Lancet study that's finding, guess what? mRNA in the milk of lactating moms right after the vaccine, right? Where's where's that, what's her name? Vicky something on Twitter who's like aggressively saying, get him, get him if you're pregnant, even though she has no clue, they haven't tested them or she doesn't care. Or the fact that all of the, every database everywhere shows that pregnant women, neonatal deaths. I mean, it's unbelievable. Not, not even to mention they haven't been tested on them. They're experimental. They're gene therapy. There's a mountain of possible side effects and reproductive issues found right in the original trials. But who cares? Because narrative, right? mRNA in the milk of lactating moms. So it's translating. Now, they lo- they'll actually point at that and say, good, it'll vaccinate them. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. It's dangerous, guys. Raises concerns of babies' exposure to toxic mRNA. Let alone, not even to mention that they are talking about mRNA that produces spike proteins in a baby and continues to make them, or the fact that mRNA itself, mod RNA, which is actually what it is, N1-methylpseudouridine-modified RNA, is especially dangerous for a child. Nobody cares. Not in the corporate media, anyway. Placebo moms in Pfizer trial were vaxxed 30D post-birth, 29 placebo versus 15 vax, didn't finish the surveillance. God, man, it's just so damn corrupt. Michael Schellenberger points out the U.S. government said it was safe for pregnant women to get the COVID vaccine because it was injected. The the injected mRNA stayed in the arm, which, by the way, they're still arguing that for the most part and did not travel through the body. And that's what they're actually still. This is Mandy Cohen saying, get it. It's safe. The new one. And he's pointing out the same study. But the, the study finds that there's mRNA in the breast milk. Well, my point was, that's important to note that these jabs stay in the shoulder mu- That Important to note that these jabs stay in the shoulder muscle has been proven false for years now. Glad this adds to that awareness, but make sure everybody knows this is only one of many peer-reviewed studies that expose this lie. This is not the first study. This is in the sudden moment where this shifts. This is not the watershed moment. It's been there, right? You know this stuff. I've shown you this tweet a thousand times. Here's American Red Cross continuing to say that the COVID vaccine does not enter the bloodstream. They still stand by that, despite how I've continually retweeted this the thousand, like every time I talk about it. And it's there. They know it. They see it. And that's the first four different studies for the podcast. January 17th, 2023. SARS-CoV-2 spike mRNA vaccine sequences circulate in blood up to 28 days after the vaccination. It's pretty simple. Now, this one is specifically about the idea of of a of it certain of not staying in the shoulder muscle, but that ends up the point here is that if 
The Lanta study is finding that it ends up with the breast milk. The argument is the reason is because it doesn't stay in the shoulder muscles, so it circulates the body, which then at trans, then you know, and continues to be made, continued synthesis, so it ends up in the breast milk very quickly. My point is that let's make sure we know that sh- that it's been proven not to stay in the shoulder muscle for a long time now, which is then why it ends up in the breast milk. If you get what I'm saying, right? Somebody in the, ch- the t- chat mentions the green breast milk that was in their own studies, right? And they just pr- and there was even people that very quickly tried to blame COVID for that. It's been proven to be directly from the injections. It's just unbelievable. Now, to end, guys, here's a video that I recommend you watch. Five minutes. A message from a fired nurse, Corrine uh, Mori, who is sounding the alarm regarding Bill C-36 and proposed mandatory vaccines for all healthcare workers. Now, realize that's not just COVID. That's whatever they deem you need. So this needs to be talked about more. Make sure you read this. This is real. This is Bill 36, Health Professions and Occupations Act. Now, this is, uh, in general, uh, Canada, I believe, right? Bill 36? I was reading earlier. Hold on. Yeah. Canada. But I know, but the point is that these bills are happening all over the world, guys. Now, really quickly, some points. This is page 49 that gets into the mandatory part. A board must, must make bylaws respecting the following. This is general licensing bylaws and just a bunch of stuff, but it literally says here, mandatory vaccinations required under an enactment other than bylaws against transmissible illnesses. So you, and then it goes on to reiterate under this, a board may make bylaws respecting the following. So either way you look at it, they're allowing boards of hospitals to decide for themselves or board. They're basically saying you guys can decide if mandatory vaccinations required under the bylaws against transmissible illnesses. So in this act, they're allowing mandatory vaccinations if should they decide for whatever they deem necessary. And on top of that, on page 167, here's another one that I find very disconcerting. For the purposes of this sub- subsection one, the provincial health officer may adopt by reference in whole or in part and with any changes that in the opinion of the provincial health officer are appropriate, a regulation code standard or rule enacted as an, as or under a law of British Columbia or another jurisdiction regarding or including a foreign jurisdiction set by a provincial nation, national or international body like the WHO, right? That's what that means. Or any other body that may make code standards or rules or published by a lab- a laboratory within the meaning of the Public Health Act and a regulation code standard or rule referred to in paragraph A may be adopted in whole or in part with any changes that in the opinion of the provincial health officer are appropriate as an amend- amended from time, uh, for- excuse me, as and as amended from time to time. And, and the bottom line is, as, as the, the overall point, guys, is they're now able to, if, if the WHO or what a foreign country, apparently, enacts a rule that they think is necessary, they're able to initiate it without any vote, any legislation. Under this act, based on the idea that we're in a health emergency, which happens every 30 seconds these days, they can just go, we're suddenly adopting the WHO mandates because we said so. This is a removal of your sovereignty, just like people have worried about. So make sure you listen to this video. She goes over the idea of mandatory vaccines and what this bill is concerning about or what, it's, what it concerns and how why it's concerning. The point is, guys, it's set up to, to roll this right back in should they want to. I don't know if that's going to be NEPA or not. 
but it certainly concerns me because it seems like something that is, I mean, look, whether that's the next thing, there very clearly seems to be something that ties in with this in regard to the origin discussion in general, that I think is really un there. I think we shouldn't be mincing words here when we can clearly prove that on paper, that what they were working on was weaponizing pathogens, right? For those out there that are in the mind that the viruses aren't real, the idea of bacteria is clearly discussed within these conversations or the idea of virus sized transistors. All of these things are operate within the acceptable levels of that conversation for people that believe that germ theory is not solid. So don't be so quick to dismiss the possibility because some people name virus, right? That's the point. There's as well as on top of all of that, something that Dr. David Martin has pointed out or James Corbett said, what I term uh, basically operating from within their narrative, that it's very important to be able to reach the average person and show them that just because like whether you think viruses are false or not, or whatever other part of the conversation you want to point out, if you could prove that they said a in the beginning, even if you think it's false and that they said B later and both of them are false. And I show the person who believes one of them that they contradicted themselves. Why wouldn't that be useful? I understand the idea of, you know, that they may be misled or so on, but the point is simply getting them to recognize in the moment that the government is lying to them about their narrative, even if all of it's a lie. And then my point, which is what I'm always saying is then question everything, which means everything, which is what I do too. That is how we reach these people, not by telling them they're too dumb to recognize that you're they're every the all of the history is wrong. And, you know, which even if that's true, you understand people are it's difficult to reach them with the most basic approvable facts. So you got to start slow, right? We got to reach these people. Now, the idea that my mindset is that I don't I'm not I don't feel either of these are sound, in my opinion. I think that we're missing something still. I really do, especially when we're in an age of talking about virus sized transistors. It suddenly becomes almost moot, doesn't it? But either way question at all. Don't dismiss any ideas. Don't blindly assume any ideas, right? We need to be open to this stuff right now because I don't think any of us fully understand what's really happening, like to a, to the fullest extent of what they're doing. Like what listening to that WHO presentation by Dr. David Martin, I mean, my God, this has been going on a lot longer than we realize, and it goes a lot deeper than we think. So thank you for being here today. I'm hoping this reaches some people with the information about this to, you know, just show the bigger picture that's not just about the immediate agenda, that there's something much bigger going on and that that can help us fight it. So thank you for supporting us, guys. If you want to support this platform, the best way to do it is to go to the donation portal on the website, right? Sign up for $1 a month or whatever you want to sign up for, but really just $1 a month on recurring payment. I'm telling you, we, we can get a lot of good follow-up with that. And if we can build that out, guys, and just get a solid base of this, the more we do it, the more we can grow. I just I just spoke with two different people. I don't want to shout the names out just yet because I want to make sure it happens. But people that you know that we're, we're talking about bringing in a T-Lev, both for content, but also just background work, editing, copy work, copy editing, you know, all research that you're going to be excited about. And I, I can't do that without more funding. I need, you know, I want to be able to pay people what they're worth, which is a lot, guys. I, I, I take care of people. So your support goes a long way. And I can tell you right now, I wouldn't be here without that support. So this is, this is the long way we're talking about. We exist because of you. It means a lot to me. Thank you for being here. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. From the President's office in the White House in Washington, D.C., we present an address by the President of the United States, Dwight D. Eisenhower. 
in holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite.